What's really good, everybody? This is Nathan Allabach, and welcome to the podcast where we get into people's stories and go down a bunch of rabbit holes about what's really good in the world. For today's episode, I spoke with my coworker and good friend, Jeff Castle. Jeff is a guitarist, artist, and one of the most all-around creative people I know, honestly. We've known each other for maybe 15 years or so, uh, initially from the local music scene. Jeff played guitar in a hardcore slash metal band called At Long Last, and I was just some angsty, emo, suburban kid, so the scene was my getaway from home or outlet for rebellion or whatever you want to call it. Anyway, uh, eventually Jeff started interning at my family's advertising agency as a graphic designer, and about 10 years later, he started working with me there. So we've been really good friends for a few years now, uh, just sitting across from each other every day. We banter about politics, popular culture, social issues, spirituality, and really just every other topic you aren't supposed to talk about at work. (laughs) Yes! In this episode, we got into what it was like growing up together and specifically what it was like for Jeff being raised by two sets of parents and sort of how that dualism shaped the way he still thinks today. He's super fascinated by Carl Jung's work on archetypes, so we got a bit into that, then took a turn into talking about Jordan Peterson. Jeff, uh, along with myself, was someone who really jumped headfirst on the Peterson phenomenon right off the bat and has since come to critically deconstruct and reevaluate his views surrounding the ideologies just espoused by all the people in the quote-unquote intellectual dark web as a whole. So (laughs) it's so hard to say that seriously. Um, This talk was a blast, and Jeff is just such a self-aware fluid thinker, so we both ended up just rambling and talking in circles a bunch, which is honestly my favorite thing to do. So I hope you all enjoy it as well. Now let's get into what's really good. All right. We're live. All right. We're live. We, take two. Are we, we allowed to say we, that this is take we, two? We can say it whatever we want. We just started recording this podcast, and about five minutes into it, I realized there was a humidifier running and just creating this white noise under everything. And I kept thinking, what is that? Did we break the studio? Yeah. I saw your, your face change, and I was like, wait, am I already being, like, uninteresting right. and, and talking too much. I was like, Jeff, explain a little bit about yourself. And my eyes just glaze yeah, over. Like, like instantly. Where's that, where's that sound coming I get from? that you already know everything, but get am I that out. boring? <laughs> Everyone's in for a rough ride yeah, this if is, this is, this is how this it's going to be. be. This is gonna, how it's going to be, yeah. All right, so All right. Jeff, Yo. again, thank you for coming on the podcast. Good to be here. Let's, again, start over, even though... For everybody listening, this is the first time with who you are, what you do, how you came to be, where we're at right now. All right. Well, I am your co-worker here at the office uh, where I do graphic design and illustration and a little bit of all 
things yeah, creative, idea I guess. Generation. Yeah, idea generation, writing, uh, editing, filming, uh, animation. Pretty much I can just keep living, going. living the dream. Yeah, yeah, really, though. <laughs> I, I just show up, make stuff, and then go home, and then make stuff. Yeah. And, and live life and be cool. The life Have of fun. a mad artist. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> so what got you into design and the whole creative field? Mm, I don't know. I kind of always wanted to do it. Like I was always drawing when I was little. Um, I was always into like music and stuff. I, uh, I think actually, I want to say this was like a dare thing back in the day. Like D-A-R-E? Like, yeah, the, the dare. Oh my God. <laughs> back in like elementary school put on those like dare assemblies for the parents yeah, they worked so well and, oh yeah oh yeah um but yeah they like went around they passed the mic to every kid and you had to say what you wanted to do instead of drugs right and i was i don't know how old i was probably like nine or ten and i was like i'm gonna draw cartoons and they were probably like this kid's totally doing drugs <laughs> That is the pathway. To yeah. Drugs. Like, well, he's hopeless. Yeah. <laughs> Next. What, what? Oh, this kid wants to be a firefighter. <laughs> That's a little better. Yeah. Like as soon as you turn eighteen, they have a list of all the kids who said art. And they're, all right, we're going to this yeah. kid's house. <laughs> yeah. I think if I would have said more than one sentence, they just would have cut my mic. Right. That's, <laughs> That's not what we want to hear. But yeah, I was like, I was always into it. Um, I always knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, I was. I was always told that you could never make any money doing it. So through like, I guess, high school, mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out what, how to do that. Yeah. And that's what kind of led me to like advertising and commercial art. That's like, I don't know. You got to get that bag. You do. Isn't that the worst? <laughs> yeah. It's so weird thinking about you saying that because that's, I mean, I wanted, I quote unquote wanted to be a musician at that age, like in high school. And yeah. My family and everybody I knew said the same thing, where you, you can't make money doing music. And it's funny because now it's not my main gig, obviously, but now I do make money playing music gigs on the weekend. Which is awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah, like after high school, I played a little bit during college, but I went to college out of state, so mm -hmm. I would only like, I kind of became a guest musician in the band that I was like a founding member of. Yeah. Um. But yeah, right after, towards the end of college, I was like, okay, that's probably it for music because, I mean, I I invested all this time into the art, so like, obviously I'm going to focus on that. Right, yeah. <laughs> I just spent four years or yeah. trying to get this degree and now I got to use it. Yeah, and and we never made any money playing, I mean, we played metal yeah. and like... <laughs> nobody's paying money to see a right. local metal band right like at least for the kind of music you can play like your options are like limitless because you could do like covers you're like you're a singer songwriter right. so you've I got and i never thought the doors about it like are open i'm like i'm playing this guy's retirement party next saturday i've never met the guy i got referred by someone else to play this thing it's like a three-hour like, like you know all the hits he wants hits yeah. from like the 60s 70s 80s which it's one of those weird things where growing up, I was whenever I would see that, like, there's always that guy 
who does the cover songs at the bars. Yeah. And, and you, you always, like, as some we, of those guys and gals are really good, though. Yeah. Like, sometimes they'll cover it and you're just like, whoa, can, yes. I, get, can I get a recording of that? Well, that's, that what was, was, that's what I was getting at, how <laughs> growing up as a musician, songwriter, you always looked at those people, and it usually is, like, the stereotype is this grungy 50, 60-year-old <laughs> man who's just, like, looking like they, they're trying to live the rock and roll dream still, and it's sad because they look sad. And as a young kid, you look at that and it seems, ugh, like I never want to be that way. Yeah. But now as an adult, and with some, as someone who has a job and is pursuing other goals and feels good about where they're at, when I look at that, it doesn't seem sad at yeah. all anymore. It seems natural and it seems if you're... If you're into music at that age and, you know, whether you're tired or maybe you're working a job you don't really want to be working, especially in those cases, it's an outlet. Even if you are playing, just like yeah. cover songs. Like it's just fun. Yeah, to it's get fun out for sometimes. you and it's probably fun for usually everybody listening to yeah. you too. Yeah, if yeah. you're into it. You're, yeah, you're just not like a, a, a judgmental little doucher anymore. Right. <laughs> I totally am. I'm just a grown-up judgmental yeah. douche. I judge different things. <laughs> I look at that and I'm like, oh, that's an inch closer yeah. to my mortality, like my inevitable death. <laughs> it becomes more real, so I can't judge it as harshly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's still good. Yeah. You you came around on that, so just that one realization. Anyway, I'm sure there was more. I sidetracked you completely. So anyway, yeah, you were into music and you were told that you couldn't do music in high school and yeah. you went to well, school well I wasn't for... told I just felt it like I I could tell it was tell, told like... by society basically yeah. everybody yeah. it was an unsaid all the, rule all the hints all the shows that we played were like <laughs> yeah. something has to change if uh, if I'm gonna be able to do this like even physically like like it's fun being super exhausted at the end of a show mm-hmm. like you know you you really went at it yeah but like to have to do that every night um, while n- making no money, mm-hmm. while spending all your savings and uh, traveling in a van yeah, and all out that of, stuff. Out of gas stations. Yeah, just like that. destroying your body. Like I went to school, art school, so I could be sitting in air conditioning and <laughs> pres- preserve my body because I'm a baby. Right, right. <laughs> um, I can't be... You're riding around in all kinds of vans and you're not sleeping some like 230 pounds, six foot dude with these thick one inch gauges, just looking yeah. to, with a half gallon of iced yeah. tea, looking to wreck people <laughs> at age 35. Yeah, <laughs> and like in a mosh pit. And I'm not trying to like knock that at all, because like knock for the, some people that's like that's the dream. That that's is, like yep. heaven on earth. Yeah, and like we know a lot of them. Yeah, and I t- I totally get that 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 is a thing for people, but. Knowing myself, I wouldn't be able to survive. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Cool, So man. there's that. Well, that's how we... It's funny, because that's how we met initially, isn't it? Was it through music? Yeah, kind of the music scene. Right? Because we knew yeah. each other. Um, like, you were into metal at the time, so... Yeah, my friends played in metal bands. Yeah. I filled in for a show or two. I didn't really yeah, play, though. you played bass, didn't you? Yeah, and just the, yeah. terribly. Just... <laughs> Who who knows? <laughs> who, who did know how to play an instrument back yeah. then, I guess, well, looking back. Well, but... And also, you didn't go to those shows to hear bass virtuosos. Exactly. You came there to see double bass, maybe a little bit of shredding. Yeah, the drummer. And then, <laughs> yep. and then, and then you just wanted some chest-grabbing vocals yes. that you could uh, bounce off of your friends to. That's all you needed. But I, w- I kind of... I do miss the scene. 
Yeah. Cause it was, it was so much fun. It was fun playing and, uh, it's still fun going to those shows. Yeah. Like I, I've been to one recently and I just kind of like lost myself in the crowd again. Mm. And that was like, I don't know if you get that exact feeling anywhere else <clears throat> or I haven't experienced it there. Like you just become like, I don't know, part of this wave. Like you, your yeah. your body is just like literally the water with everybody else's and you, you have to move with it. Otherwise, like you're going to be exhausted. Like it's, 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 uh, it's easier to just jump along with and you're actually exerting less yes. energy somehow. It's like a you mob. Got, yeah. Yeah. You just got to like, accept it and let it take over you and you're going to have the best time. You know, I mean, to think about all like the, the sweaty, like, oh who gosh, knows what yeah. kinds of stuff is coming off of everybody else's yeah. bodies and sticking to yours. It's just if, like, if you're that guy in, in, the, in those shows who is just, you know, they get elbowed or something and they're just crying or, yeah. oh, like, I can't believe like they're all, or, or they get pissed. And yeah. like, oh, I can't believe someone would push me. I can't believe yeah. someone would elbow me at like a, a rock concert or a yeah. metal concert where you're everybody is spot. tightly confined. And that's just what, yeah. like you said, the room is sort of moving <laughs> back and forth. And yeah, yeah, you just, it's fun to jump in and it's, it's definitely, an energy that doesn't really exist anywhere else. Yeah. I always think when people, there's certain times in my life after I'd gotten out of that sort of phase where people have asked me, because there's pictures of me online from like moshing and stuff from back then, like I've joked about it for years. I remember seeing the the footage of you at the purple oh, door. Stop. It was, that was your so first mosh. Bad. Dude, I saw your first that mosh. That wasn't my first mosh. That it, was that was it was presented it was, to me <laughs> as your first mosh. It might as well have been because it was so bad. I I don't even know what the hell I was doing. But it was hilarious how yeah, at that time I like it, there wasn't wasn't really logic to it. So like after the fact if if you if you never experienced it and you're like why would someone ever do that yeah I can't explain it to you it was just like an energy type of thing yeah. like it was it was a combination of angst and groupthink you know mm-hmm. you're in a mob of people and it's just energy like yeah. you're, you're going well, with I think the it's energy catharsis. of the band it's like you have this this energy that you need to expel and this is where you can do it and everybody's like yeah dude it's safe do it it's safe you're not like you're not actively trying to hurt somebody yeah like even if you do hurt someone in a quote unquote mosh pit or a thrashing pit yeah everybody helps everybody the person is, exactly people help them and even if and even if they don't help them there's still this like i don't know communal understanding of this is what it is we yeah. all have the we all have the awareness that this is what you're getting into when you stand close to a pit yeah. at a concert so it's a weird dynamic where even if you do get hurt it's like i have my nose broken at that exact the video that you are talking about that year it's 2006 or 7 i um yeah my nose got smashed by this really this older guy i remember all i remember is he was bald because all i saw was the back of his head and he literally swung his head full force backwards at me just smashed my i blacked out i was on the ground was blood gushing and i was really far from my home and I uh, called my parents, I remember, and they were like, oh, you're fine. Just, you know, just whatever, ice it. Come home, I come home. And that let, me, was, let me snap it back for was, you real quick. <laughs> and I, I remember I had, had asthma and bad allergies all growing up, so I already had, like, breathing problems oh, in my sinuses. Sucks. And then this just deviated the septum so bad that from then till uh, it was 2014, I think, I got sinus surgery finally. And the doctor who did the surgery looked at my nose and just said, what? have you been doing like you literally haven't been able to breathe like i haven't been able to breathe through my nose for like 10 years for it was, wow. it was pretty 
It was the first, after I recovered from that, I remember thinking, I can't believe, like, if my kid ever wants to go to a mosh pit, I have to, if, if they ever hurt themselves or get punched, I shouldn't even say that, if they get punched in the face and break their nose or anything, we are fixing them. Because I didn't even know what I was missing yeah. at the time. Wow. So wait, you can breathe out of your nose now, though, right? Hear that? Good. You, I, it's still, it still makes a noise. Take my word for it's, it. That's a nose noise. <laughs> it's not perfect, but I, I can get air through my nose. There's still like cartilage all screwed yeah. up, but it is what it is. Anyway, we don't get, we don't gotta stay. No, it's okay. Stay on on that topic, but but dude, so Martian's cool. It it is the best. And we do. That is how we came to to know each other. Yeah. So it's yeah. It's perfect. I just hit the mic. You're fine. I'm back. It's your. <laughs> we're, we're live. But uh, take three. So, <laughs> Start the recording over. So, I mean, dude, like you said, we've worked together for uh, almost three years now. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's been a long time. Um, yeah, but we knew each other longer than that because I had interned here about 10 years ago, my senior right. year of high school. That's actually, I think, where I first met you face to face. Yes. We knew who each um, other were. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and between then and me going to college and coming back and then eventually getting hired here we were still in contact and doing some i mean like a little bit of hanging out a little bit of i was doing posters for you yeah for the your the shows, shows you promoted yeah. um the coolest posters ever yeah BTW. They, they, they were pretty good they were <laughs> they pretty really good were. they uh they made you think you were getting into something maybe a little bit more serious than than the building next door. Right. It, like, it, yeah. it put me a, a league above the uh, MS Paint I'm just over here tooting my own horn real, <laughs> real quick. Like, yeah, they, they were sick. They were sweet. I'll, I'll, put those, I'll put those old flyers in the show notes for people if they want to check them out just yeah. after, after the podcast. <laughs> I remember there was, there was a couple that I based off of, like, these those old, like, Swiss designs that you yeah. see in, like, art yeah. school. And, like, those I felt really good about. You don't get to do those often in, in the real world. Yeah. Like stuff like that. It's true. Yeah. There's really not that world of music and art and whatever you want to call it, community planning, whether it's at a venue in the city or a local community type planning situation is when you use flyers to promote like like yeah. artsy looking flyers. So you get a lot of those cool, unique designs. Yeah. And, and like the purpose of a flyer is to be eye catching and almost be like like not literally be a puzzle because you want to have the information <laughs> and you out there get it. Yeah. but like flyers get pretty wild because yeah. uh i mean it's just a whole bunch of creative open people yeah. saying like make this as cool as possible yeah and then nobody's like really micromanaging anything um i mean from from my experience yeah it's super rad not not like uh, the corporate world, right? Which we which we work in every day, or yeah. literally everything is micromanaged. That uh, that your <laughs> that your stake and persona rallies against. That's true, man. You got every fight. every waking hour. Yeah, fight the bureaucracy. Call them all cowards. Yeah, that's the motto of Stakem. Then, then eat lunch <laughs> and then uh, get out again. Yep. Go to bed, rinse and repeat. Just, just sometimes I'll get once in a while and I'm feeling squirrely. Get those two a.m. tweets from just any yes. like you up on Twitter, just like <laughs> rallying against yo, the, the system. Yo, Jack, you up? That's <laughs> <laughs> my fave. But dude, so we okay, so we've been working together forever, and obvi- we sit across from each other, so we talk every day and yeah. banter. So there's really nothing about all kinds of stuff that you 
probably shouldn't talk about in a work environment. That's so true. We get so deep into yeah. politics. Just and in a room issues. full of everybody, and we never know if anybody else is listening because nobody's acknowledging it. They don't care. I, don't I think they guaranteed care. they don't care. But also, like, I don't know. I feel like sometimes if they do over here, they're like, "What the hell is going on?" I know. Over there? We're just using term like we're using terminology like the intellectual dark web. And then uh, uh, you're like, what? It sounds like some stuff terrible, like that because terrible that, video game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Aren't we supposed to talk about like, I don't know, the Twitters and. Uh, right. Just social like, media and marketing. Yeah. But we texting. But we, get in, but we get into all like, yeah. So we sit across from each other and we're interested in a lot of the same things. So inevitably yeah. we touch on a lot of politics, politics. religion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, those are pretty much the yeah. the untouchables well, encom- in the en- exactly. in the work environment, and they encompass all the things that we care about and enjoy talking about, and, yeah. but are also difficult talking about. So, right. I think yeah. they're fun to think about, but hard to talk yes. about. And for whatever reason, our brains just love thinking about things that have no answers. Yeah, isn't it weird too? Like you and I are both pretty avid podcast listeners, and it's been interesting in the course of only recording a few of these so far and how I can't tell you how many thousands of podcasts I've listened to over the years. And I'm so critical of people on podcasts and how they portray their views publicly, not just podcasts, but just publicly in general, whether that's on social media, Mm -hmm. at talks, et cetera. And I'm so critical of how I always want nuance. Like, Oh, I wish so-and-so had more nuance, but then you get in front of a mic or you get on your social media and you start to realize how difficult it really is to be a nuanced person in this world with political religious views. Thinking about this recently, like being nuanced versus taking a hard line on something Mm -hmm. like, you can't really be nuanced and be clear about anything that you're saying. No. Like you have to almost take a harder stance than you do in your personal life to say like, here's this idea that I'm trying to get across. It's definitely not this over here. Yeah. Which is the, I guess the easier part to remember where other people, other people are like, yeah, screw that over there. (laughs) Yeah. Give me more of this. And then it's just like, I, I think that's part of maybe what no, I don't I don't want to make excuses for this this thing that we're gonna talk about oh, later. No, it's fine, but I was gonna say it's I think that's why at least partially why people on the like the strong left and the strong right hate moderates and they hate centrists because there's sort of a so there's like there's two ways of looking at this where there's there's centrists and there's moderates who don't take a stance on anything. And everything is up in the air, and yeah. it's everything is, oh, well, the other side this, or the other side that. And it's this sort of weird word game where it sounds nuanced, but really it's just lacking any critical thinking. Yeah. And it refuses to, like, but it's like that, uh, I think it's a Churchill quote. I might be totally wrong, but it's something like, uh, it's something of the notion where the only reason you want to get good at chewing, on, the only reason to chew on something is to eventually, like, bite down basically like mm. which is the idea like you want to be able to chew on something for a long time but eventually you have to you do that so you can really right. bite down and know that what sounds gonna... like the uh the reason to have an open mind is to close it on exactly something. that's the same Who was that by the way was that i don't know that's that's, that's what I'm i thinking. always assume it's like c.s lewis or something no i think but it was I, I think that's the quote i'm thinking of i think maybe somebody meshed it like a different uh, way i don't know but that's the idea and, right, I, and I think right. so there's that way of 
centrist moderate thinking and there's the other way which was what i would consider wisdom thinking which is actual people and you see this mostly in people above the age of 50 who have at least gone through enough life experience to to know like maybe they've experienced decades of different political systems in place and and social movements so they have a strong um i guess experience like wealth of experience under their belt to to know that they can say certain things with not just, um, I guess, nuance, but brevity and understanding, and they can say it in a way that is not this surface level kind of, kind of just up in the air BS. You know, yeah. they they say it in a way where it's like, no, this is actual. Like we need to be more critical and nuanced in these ways, and not just hard line. You know, but that right. only. To, to find someone who actually does that for real and isn't just some charlatan who's like, the other side, like a Dave yeah. Rubin, just like, well, the other side, like, well, the yeah. left. How does like, it feel to be non-regressive today? <laughs> <laughs> like, everything is just like, well, I'm a liberal, but the left. Yeah. And like, that's like such a common thread in today's, because of the polarization, you have all these like wannabe intellectuals who and not and not just public figures but just people in your life like like people we know yeah there's a lot of people who look to this stuff and they they try to sound smart by basically saying but the other side with everything without actually having a stance i feel like it's a very very rare person that is able to be nuanced in like an original opinion and be brief at the same time (sighs) they seem like they're like categorically opposed yeah like the definitions are opposite. Yeah. Um, like I realized that more and more as I like tried to explain something for myself without using anybody else's words. Uh. I was like, I'm either a not really saying anything about anything, or I'm going off on a tangent that's so deep by the time I can get to my point. I mean, not that anybody cared to begin with, but <laughs> whoever was left is already, like, definitely gone by right. now. Right, And, uh, well, yeah, I guess that's, like, the two options. Yeah, that is it. And it, and it is really, really just hard to... Yeah. I think that's why it's hard to have conversations. Because it's, yeah. like, the two... Well, and to be a public figure, and not only... Like, if you do that once, and then everybody's like, oh, this, this person has something to say. Yeah. To have to do that again and again and again right. about any new thing that comes up or any just other topic that comes up, it yeah. seems like impossible. Especially the older you get, too. And the older you get, you just get more set in your ways and the pat, like the neurological grooves in your yeah. mind develop. And it just. I wonder what that like median age is where like you're still fluid enough, but you've also like you've actually experienced something. Yeah. So you like know what you're saying. Yeah. You're not just like, oh, this idea is nice and this idea is nice, but they're 30, all abstract. 35 to 45. All right. Maybe. Yeah. So what are we doing here? <laughs> so, dude, okay, let's just jump in at this point to what the, the thing, I guess the thing underneath the thing that you are fascinated by oh. and have been fascinated by for the past couple of years. And we, you can kind of like, I, which is archetypes. Yeah. So let's let's give like I don't know how you kind of want to jump into this, but do you have like a starting how point? Should we get into this? I mean, do we want to talk a little bit about just like our kind of just a little bit about like our maybe religious upbringings? Yeah, I, I think like that's a good that way, good way to, to tie that in. So, so like, I mean, like 
Yeah, it's kind of in get, that realm, in a way. Well, yeah, yeah. How? Because an interest in this type of thinking, like archetypal thinking, which is just basically symbology and um, looking for structures that are underlying culture that you don't yeah. see on the surface. Yeah, basically. and I guess it doesn't have to be religious. It's just like any kind of uh, story, mm-hmm. really. Just generally, it has been predominantly yeah religious. I think I think that was the. Yeah. Uh, what inspired, like, the development of this field of, like, thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, it happens to expand out into, like, really every creative enterprise. Yeah. I guess. So. So, like, what was it like growing up for you then? So, I mean, getting you, like, jumping onto this topic of interest. Because, again, yeah. because you and I talk about this stuff every day, we have similar scopes of interest here and and not completely similar but similarities between us and how we were raised like yeah. re- in religious you know obviously like if you're raised in america in the past however many decades obviously you're probably raised protestant or catholic or some yeah. form well, of western at least, christianity at least, in, uh, at least in our area yeah especially it's if, like there's almost nothing else yeah um so you want to get into so a little yeah, bit yeah that's that's where that's where i came from I, uh, my parents had, uh, had split up when I was like maybe two or something. I don't even know. Like, I just don't remember a time. It was, it was what, before I was making memories, yeah. I think. Yeah. So I, it was always kind of like, I, I grew up in, in two places. So I went to two churches, um, one a lot more than the other, but I was kind of introduced to. I mean, obviously, there's a ton of overlap, but I was introduced to two modes of thinking that weren't exact. So it kind of like maybe introduced me to, not that I knew this term back then, but a very small scale type of like moral relativism, maybe. Right. Yeah. Um, you weren't trapped in binary thinking, which, yeah. whereas someone like I, I mean, was raised, I mean, I kind of was well, in, in each house. In a different sense. But yeah. in my, right. In myself, I had to do this like internal figuring out on my own because like then, obviously one parent is going to say, well, if you're having some difficulties, do this that I do. Yeah. And the other is going to say this. Because the, nucle- the typical whatever nuclear family in yeah. America, it's just like the one family goes to the same church, mm-hmm. same community, and yeah. everything is a very – Family they're, that – Yeah, there's a, there's, No, you're fine. There's a clear in-group, out-group. That's all I was going to say. So right. it's very binary. Like this is bad. This is good. You know, this yeah. is right. This is wrong. And also Whereas it's you are, so deep because yeah. like not only does your family go to this church, but your family's family has probably gone to that church mm-hmm. in a lot of cases for – decades or at least like they've lived in the same area know all the same people mm-hmm. i have the same ties which is yeah it's, it's yeah. very so but, like my my dad's family um his family actually his dad's family and his mom's family both went to the same church mm. um and they had been going there since like i actually found this out recently since like the 1800s wow or like Maybe like I'm sure like late 1800s. That's still crazy though. Like, that's insane. Yeah, that's that's how it was told to me, and I was like, well, I didn't know that that building was even that old. <laughs> right, right. Or maybe it wasn't even that building, but at least that. Yeah, the community because communities move building to yeah, building. Yeah, yeah. But like the built the the person that it was named after, like he he started these churches, just like a couple of them, 
two or three in like maybe early 1800s. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was over at my dad's side. I actually haven't been to that one too much. I was mostly going to church with my mom Mm -hmm. and, uh, that was a, a local Lutheran church, um, and they just kind of like picked that one because my parents or my, my mom's side of the family's first generation immigrants. I don't know exactly what the terminology is. My mom was born in Portugal, but came to America when she was before she could talk. So she actually learned yeah. English first, but like they they're Catholic over there. I don't remember ever going to a Catholic church, maybe like once or twice. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, there's even before I was born, there was all there was some kind of like meshing of doctrines. Right. There, there were whispers in the wind. Yeah, Th- things were changing. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's where this interest kind of came from. Was just kind of like being between these like solid structures mm-hmm. and finding finding a way your own way through it. Yeah, just navigating yeah. that process growing up. It's yeah, got to be crazy. And, and wanting to do it, not not like, oh, here's two things that are saying a little bit different things. That must mean that both of them have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, because like, the, the natural state for a lot of kids, especially teenagers who go through, you know, divorce and have, um, I guess more the word, I don't know if the word destabilizing is right because it's not always a destabilizing condition, but just more... Um, I guess, uh, just different directions, more tension. I should like you're saying, you're being pulled by yeah. two different families. So, I mean, like mm-hmm. if, if a teenager has more of that in their life, obviously I think they're, like, you're already prone to rebel as a teenager. Yeah. So that's, like, that's a rough time to have that. Happen. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's hard. I think for, I mean, this, this is just generally speaking, who's to say for each person because obviously you navigated it really well. Yeah. So it's, but it's, I also it's, think it was beneficial for me in a way to have had that happen so early yeah, because I don't know anything else. So that's like I developed in my mind around that. Yeah. Like that was a constant. It was like a weird constant. Yeah, it wasn't that like everything you had a structure kind of and then like 10 years old, the structure was gone. And then the yeah. rug got pulled yeah. out from under you, which is what happens yeah. to a lot of kids. And that is more like neurologically chaotic because you, yeah. don't, you don't have – like you're going through this like extremely crucial developmental – years and everything is just shifting yeah. around you whereas you you grew up in that shift yeah already. the way i look at it it's almost like a positive like i got i got to see two structures yeah and yeah. then just like i don't know if it's maybe i don't know if i'm a more open person because of that or because i'm an open person i kind of made that into a positive yeah yeah like, I'm not sure. That that might never be yes. answered. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> just just, yeah, just it's gotta, yes. It's got to be both. Yeah, yeah. That's usually what I do. Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, if there's two <laughs> op- opposing, seemingly opposing answers, it, it's definitely both. Like nature yeah. versus nurture. Obviously, it's both. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, yeah. So when did you initially, I guess, start to spark this interest? Like, uh, like in your, was it in high school or? I think... Consciously, it was sometime in high school, like maybe, I don't know, like sophomore, junior year. I actually said like out loud, I think I texted one of my friends and I was like, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm just going to read every book that I can, like every religious book from different places 
just to see what they say. Like see mm-hmm. how see how much overlap there is and also see like what what maybe my culture hasn't thought of or, or mm-hmm. something like that. Um so yeah, that led me to some interesting places. Like I was reading that in high school and like all throughout college and really up until now. Like yeah. it's just kinda like stuck. Like for whatever reason I enjoy doing it. Yeah. Um but yeah, maybe that's just my my disposition. Right. Yeah, how so, much so it's so odd thinking how much of this is determined, like predetermined already. Like we yeah. don't we don't we have no free will. Yeah. This is just Well, pe- I think we have free will, but it's on <laughs> it's on a predetermined platform. Like right. obviously you're free to make whatever choices you're gonna make, but you might only think to make certain choices. Which basically makes it not free will, I guess. Yeah, it depends on how you want to define, how you define free. it. Totally, yeah. yeah. I, I think about it, that all like, the time. Obviously, I can't decide to just like fly out of this chair and float up onto the second yeah. floor. There's limitations, but there's yeah. bio, there's also not just there's not just physiological limitations, but there's innate, I guess, um, psychological and just mm-hmm. the mental limitations. Where if you're raised a certain way with a certain cognitive function and, and certain genetics in your family line yep. obviously there's going to be certain limits to how you think and what you think and the direction you're going to go you know it's it's always interesting to see I'm what you it's funny I'm already starting to see this what you I don't know if you tell me if you've noticed this at all where we're how, how many years out of high school are you at this point 10 so you're 10 so I <laughs> yeah. think I'm, I'm eight years yep. out of high school yeah. so it's I'm already seeing a lot of kids who in high school when they were kind of going through their rebellious whatever phase, right. they were hyper progressive because in school it's just it's cool, I guess, to be hip and progressive yeah. and all that. Well, I think also like generally you're more open. Exactly. Kids in general, like there's always mm-hmm. there's that that, you know, corny quote where it's like, show, show me a young liberal and or show me a young conservative. You see someone without a heart. Show me an old liberal yeah. and you see an idiot that was actually churchill is that's churchill yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> churchill has all the quotes yeah. it's fine but yeah it's just the idea like when you're younger yeah you are just naturally more disposition to be open so it's been a, yeah. it's, it's been and you're a, more compassionate yeah yeah and not because you get older and you're not compassionate anymore your compassion i think manifests in like more immediate ways right like, it's family like, finances yeah, yep, yep so like i've noticed a lot of those a lot of those kids that like because i can see it on social media now or a lot of them who were hyper progressive are now ultra conservative and really? not even 10 years later and it's interesting because it not in all the cases because obviously i don't know every kid i went to high school with family but yeah. for some of them i know who they were either it was through like playing sports with them growing up or like just different community events and in almost all the cases that i've seen again it's totally anecdotal so who's like you could easily combat this point i guess but i'm just interested in it. i'm interested if yeah. you've seen it at all because i uh, in a lot of those cases it's their parents were conservative so it's interesting how mm, you kind of yeah. go through these phases but it's almost like ultimately you've already been predetermined to how you think you yeah. know like i, I come from, it's it's weird because I, I don't know how mixed you are with it but i come from two kind of polar opposite family like my dad's side of the family is hyper progressive liberal and just kind of not 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 that they're not seriously religious at all. Like, there's some members of the family who have mm-hmm. gone to church in the past and all that, but they were never, like, fundamentalist. Whereas my mom's side of the family is hyper-fundamentalist and hyper-religious. So it's weird. And conservative? And conservative. Yeah, That's yeah. That's interesting. Because so knowing, your, knowing your parents, 
I would have guessed that the opposite was true. You think if so? I had to guess, because yeah. it's, it, well, because they're both pretty conservative now. But yeah. my dad is still he he's he's artistic, so he still has an openness right. to him. Yep. But he's but he's structurally become more conservative. Yeah. Well, yeah, as he's, he's older. he seems obviously he's artistic and he seems really open, but he's also like one of the most disciplined people I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah, yeah, which is huge in conservatism. So it's, yeah. it's but it's interesting. So I don't know, like a lot of, I've already seen patterns in myself at at age 26. So I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking in so many ways I'm progressive and, you know, I'm, I'm constantly trying to challenge myself and stay open to a lot of possibility and and obviously minority groups and understand, like having empathy, like you were yeah. saying, natural yeah. compassion. Mm-hmm. But I'm already starting to see a lot of those tendencies creep into just the way my brain is structured. Yeah. You know, yep. it's, it's interesting. Have you noticed that at all, like in yourself or your friends? I've uh, in myself, I, I think I have a lot of friends that are still very progressive. Mm-hmm. Um. Not to say I don't have friends that are conservative as well. I noticed myself becoming, in ways, definitely more conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that maybe just be a, a side effect of like living on my own and trying to figure out financials and right. thinking about like like I'm married now, thinking about how how I have to make decisions for a family right. when we have one. Um, I wouldn't call myself a conservative at this point. Yeah. Both of my parents, like, uh, both of my parents are remarried and all four of my parents are all conservative. Mm. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know if you would guess that cause you know, my I mom, wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. My, I, my dad in his like demeanor seems like a very, open and like he he's just like one of those people who loves people and it's just like yeah you you do what you do and i'll do what i do right. but but i think his politics are conservative mm. which kind of surprised me um when i realized that because i yeah. was pretty late and my mom also seems like very very open and compassionate not seems she is yeah yeah <laughs> um, she is but yeah. but i think that she would probably identify herself as a conservative too. It's so interesting. It's like yeah. the underlying structures. The older you get, there's all yeah. these really weird. You, you start to think about just structure as a whole mm-hmm. differently. My mom's really... parents, though, I would guess they were probably liberal, mm. but they were also immigrants. Yeah. So they, I, I don't know. I mean, how op- you have to be pretty open to come to another country, right? And right. just. Yeah, you're, you're changing everything. It's yeah. a complete 180. Yeah, and changing churches, not only changing churches, but changing denominations. Yeah. Um, but people are complicated. Yeah, we are, aren't we? <laughs> well, a lot of this ties in, I mean, okay, just to kind of jump in at the baseline then to the talk about yeah. archetypes because it's tough to get into it. I'm it not is, trying to not get into it. No, no, you're fine. But this, <laughs> yeah. but again, it's, it underlies all this because it's interesting how coming out of those structures, like those religious structures, whatever you want to call them, that we kind of were raised in, both you and I, which we don't have to get into here, have gone through different deconstruction periods in young yeah. adulthood to, yep. to obviously we're not in those systems, those older religious systems anymore. We're in new ideologies yeah. and new mind- mindsets. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to 
get into this stuff, which is something that you're really fascinated by and that you read a lot about, because archetypes are sort of the language that underlies a lot of this. It's it's a lot. Yeah. A lot of people like a, like a Joseph. It's actually Camp. even before language. Exactly. Which is wild. To let's even well, think let's about. just jump into it. Because I mean, right. a lot of people like they they look at a Carl Jung or a Joseph Campbell, and they have there's these sort of communicators of archetypes that use yeah. symbi- symbology to, and a lot of people who are. I guess not progressive necessarily, but sort of post-religion in some way. Mm-hmm. Look to figures like that to structure all this. I feel like a lot of, of progressive people too, to to do a name drop. Um, Alan Watts mm. is also very influenced by like Carl Jung's thinking. Yeah, like Jung was doing his thing in like the early 1900s, like World War One, World War Two. I think he died in the 60s. Okay. Um, but he, I know when I was learning like psychology in school, one thing they made note about him was that he uh, was really big into combining Eastern and Western religions. Mm. Um, but nobody ever talked about archetypes, and that's why he seemed like he was he was doing that. Yeah. I mean, um, Cool. Well, let's jump in on the yeah, ground let, level. Let's do it. Let's just hit let's it. Let's do it. Let's just so, hit, let's, let's fend to the rules so and hit I'm the gonna, ground running. I'm gonna... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Real, real quick. I was, uh, I was at my, my little brother's graduation, um, Monday, and uh, they were, they were testing out the piano, playing through the loudspeaker, and right. it's like all student musicians and like choirs and student band and everything. So they're, they're testing out the keyboard. <laughs> And uh, I was like, I know this song. They were playing All Star. Get out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the memes have spread yep. into the youth. It's just. Well, the, the youth live in the meme. I now. know. I know, but that, that's like an that's, old that's meme. That's why our jobs are so fun right I now. I know. It's all kids. It's just weird. Like, when I think about a meme like that, though, I think it's like an older. In my mind, it's like we grew up with Shrek, which is where All Star kind of popularized. Yeah. So it's weird to think that kids like your little brother is oh, he, his generation. He's been, he's been watching Shrek. Since he, that's amazing. before he could talk. Yeah, like because when my my brother's ten years younger it's in than his I DNA. am, so when I was watching Shrek, he was a baby watching Shrek. Oh my god! So this is how like these things happen. He didn't even know it was affecting him. Yeah, he didn't even know. None of us on, did. The... <laughs> <laughs> like you're like swaddling this child in your arms, like somebody. He's <laughs> just like taking it all in. That yep. baby's gonna grow up to be the president. <laughs> Yeah, and also a, a funny other like kind of coincidence at this same graduation ceremony. The uh, so there's the valedictorian, and then there's the uh, what's what's the other one? It's like the the vice, the know. vice valedictorian. It's like salutarian or Jeff. something. I, I have no idea what it is, <laughs> but in his speech, he actually he said this old uh, adage, which doesn't seem to have an origin, but it's. Uh, Watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch habits, they become a character. Watch character, it becomes your destiny. Mm. And I was like, archetypes. That's, <laughs> that sounds like something super intense that maybe like a Morgan Freeman type character would say in a trailer for a new video game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Fable 3. Uh, yeah. Just Fable just 5. Elder Scrolls. Just yep. some, that's fantastic. No, I love it, man. Cool. So let's let's get into this. Yeah. Kind it. of a. I'll start with this little like anecdote from my 
my past, we're talking about church. Um, when I was around like 11 in, uh, you, you posting a story right now? No, dude. <laughs> my phone kept we're, vibrating. We're going live. I, I wanted to, I'm going to throw it. Just I'm going to throw it on the ground. All right, Can I'll, you hear I'll, that, people? I'll, throw yours, too. I'm going to throw mine, throw too. It. It's like in right, Pineapple mine's Express. Mine's face up. I, I'm going to try to not look over yeah, there. Yeah, I've seen in Pineapple Express where they throw the cell phones and yeah. the wood. He's like, why did you throw it? Like, what do you mean the battery's dead? <laughs> All right. Sorry All right, for so, sidetracking. Okay, <laughs> yeah. We will get into this eventually. Let's hit it. Um, we're only like 40 minutes in. 45. It's fun. Oh. <laughs> are you are you counting the first take? Anyway, so I was... So... Let's go back to when I was about 11 years old. I'm sitting in Sunday school class. Okay. Um, we're going to talk softly because we're in Sunday school class. <laughs> Got to whisper. Yeah. No, we can talk. It was a, it was a, uh, it was a pretty open class. I had, I had fun there. Like, I, didn't, I didn't have a bad experience or anything. I didn't leave, cool. leave because it was, I left because I was curious. Lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Very, from stories I've heard, which really surprised me. Yeah. Um, is. A lot of twisted youth pastors out there and yeah. Sunday school teachers. I know just... everybody listening or a lot of people listening are probably going to assume we're talking about the worst. We're not necessarily talking about the worst, just like people that don't know how to be people. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Sunday school class. I'm 11. Uh, this is like shortly after uh, 9-11 happened. Mm. So people were talking about some pretty serious stuff and people had a lot of questions. And uh, we were kind of talking about um, like the topic of Islam came up and God and uh, I guess kids were asking about, quote unquote, their God. And uh, I don't know. How, yeah, there was how, so much confusion yeah, yeah. at that time. We were so young. Yeah, like like the God I know, how, like uh, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I kind of spoke up and uh, I was like, well, I don't know if it's their God. Like if, if we believe in one God, like it's got to be there's one God. Yeah. So... I was like, well, they're like, but, but they call him Allah. And I was like, well, they have a different name for him because they, yeah, they speak a different language. <laughs> it means the same yeah. thing. So I was like, well, it's got to be the same guy. And then I gave this analogy, which uh, in hindsight kind of reveals a lot about my perception of like religion and spirituality. I was like, you see, it's like, it's like Sasquatch <laughs> and the Yeti. And like, I look up, I'm like, my pastor's like mortified. He's like, what is this kid about to say? <laughs> so I was like, North America has Sasquatch, Bigfoot, right? And then in Asia, they have the Yeti. And they, like, you look at them, they're the same thing. <laughs> like they just have different names. Like they just look different because one has to hide in the woods oh. and the other has to hide in the snow. <laughs> I'm crying. You were what, in sixth grade? Yeah, yeah, That's amazing. yeah. That that happened what, when I was in sixth grade. For, that that is a the wisdom of a child. That is yeah. fantastic. So like obviously I wasn't saying that believing in God or a God is like believing in Bigfoot, which I think is what my <laughs> pastor thought. Yeah, took yeah. They're like, what is, what is about to happen? What is this here? kid's parents teaching them? Yeah, but uh, at the end, like everyone kind of got what I was saying, and and like the way the pastor jumped. I don't remember exactly what he said, but mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, that's. That's a good point. He's like, basically thing. what Jip's saying is that Sasquatch <laughs> is going to kill the Yeti and just, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it totally wasn't like that at all. <laughs> and we don't live that, in the South. That would have been so- <laughs> 
But I knew, but it, I it knew could pastors like oh, that. Oh, yeah, I yeah. Know that. <laughs> it's just a fun... Uh, um, so if you're out there listening to this, pastors that I know, I love you yep. some, somewhat. You just have, you know, it just yep. is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, pro- I definitely couldn't articulate this back then, but looking back on it, I was using those symbols as an, a way to illustrate belief and how like the collective mind of a people will express a belief using their own experiences as a template. Yeah. Um, so, and that's kind of like what archetypes are. It's not like the template. It's, it's what you're applying to your own template. Like it's an unconscious thing. You can never actually describe like what an archetype is. Yeah. It's just like, it's this tendency to, come up with these ideas to explain certain things. Yeah, like we, we talked about this um, before where there's the, I love the comedian slash podcaster Pete Holmes, yeah. and he had this great quote that I loved where he he talks in this language a lot. He talks about God, but mostly in the the mythological sense of the, like the archetypal sense of the word. Like yeah. It's more of this thing that we don't understand, whatever, like the beyond, the unconscious, mm-hmm. whatever, the unspoken. Yeah, it's like a stand-in for like the unknown exactly. that encapsulates everything. And his his quote that I love, that he's, I don't even remember when he said it. I don't think it's, it's he's not like an inspirational figure, so it's not like one of those, you can't just Google the quote. There's like a, there's like yeah. a, there's like a Google image with him smiling and it's like a black and white text with this quote. Dude, you got to find where it's from like and a, then turn it into <laughs> a, an that. image and then tweet it and then somebody else will be able to do what you want to do That's and look it up. exactly what needs to do happen. That, do that tonight. I'll, I'll do it. But anyway, but, go ahead. <laughs> but it's just the, the quote he said, the only... The only the only vehicles giving tours of God Island are myth and metaphor, which is totally. just the idea that you can't describe God, you can't describe the unknown. You can only use myths slash stories slash um, religion, beliefs, whatever. You can only use these these ways that these systems that we've developed over time, and then you can only use poetry and language to describe. You can only you're separated from the thing itself. It's not like a science equation where you can yeah. write it down and you get an answer. It's you can only try your best to describe it in these methods. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I remember the last time you told me about that, I was like, myth and met, or you said myth and metaphor is like the vehicle that takes you to God Island, and that would kind of make archetypes like if it's a train, the archetypes right. would be like the train tracks, right? In a right. Way. So yeah, if you're looking at it from a strictly like secular perspective that would be one answer for why there is so much like commonality in cultures that while they were developing those ideas had no contact with each other mm-hmm. but they still yeah, all came up with the same a lot of the same things yeah yeah um so yeah that's uh that's a good jumping off point. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's a good baseline so that's for what people. It, so a lot of people, when they think, um, when they hear the term, term archetype, they're thinking like images and like symbols and stuff, mm-hmm. especially like a lot of people would only hear it in context of writing stories. Like you brought up Joseph Campbell, like the, yeah, that's how the I hero's think of it. journey. Yeah. And like, there's, there's like certain characters that always show up and those, those are actually uh, archetypal images, mm-hmm. which sounds like it's like a trivial distinction, but uh, it's actually pretty important to specify the difference. 
um, because the images are like the symbols. The archetypes are like these natural laws of the mind that are like unconscious uh, patterns that evolved with like the rest of the world, like as our minds were developing along with the yeah the world, and uh, like that's kind of like why they're why they're universal. Um, but archetypal images aren't necessarily universal. They're kind of universal, like within a culture, mm-hmm. but not between cultures. But they look different everywhere. Like yeah. whereas, like you could, you could in the West, obviously, there's the Jesus story. So Jesus as a character is a yeah. is like the Messiah he's a, figure. He's a he, he's a hero on the heroes in the hero's journey to many. Yeah, or Messiah figure. And either one of them, like cross culture, there's many figures that look like Jesus or seem like Jesus. They share similarities and traits, but they aren't that isn't the archetype. The archetype yeah. is just the hero. Yeah. Right? Like so like going so, back to so the Sasquatch and Yeti thing, yeah. there there is a a wild man man ape hominid thing. That's kind of like in a way like the archetype. Actually, even that is an archetypal image. So it's it's really hard to like say what actually an archetype is, but Mm -hmm. but it's what, it's this pattern. Like I kind of think about it as like like the the physics of uh, the mind. Mm. Like if physics are like the building block of reality then archetypes are kind of like the building blocks of our conscious processes right right. um so because wasn't it wasn't it aristotle or socrates who had the example of forms for was forms right because like a table like when you look at a table plato 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 through socrates he used socrates to explain his teacher so like the table like when you look at a table you can one that we're you can knock on it you can you can observe it with your mind and you can imagine it you don't even need it you don't even need it in front of you. you can imagine what a table looks like in your head but your conception of a table is once removed from what a table actually is. Mm-hmm. You're only you're imagining what a table should be with the tools your mind has created of what you know about tables. But right. the, the, what a table is at its deepest level, this is so philosophical and boring for a lot of people, but what a table actually is is, is once removed from that. Yep, that's like, exactly so what it is. That's what and it is. and okay. Carl Jung got one of his main influences for coming up with the concept of archetypes were Plato's forms. Okay. He's okay. like, it's it's this thing, but he is applying it to like the domain of religion and narrative. Mm. Basically narrative yeah. and experience. Because his goal was to apply that in his psycholo- his yeah, psychological practice. Yeah. 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 Um so yeah, what else did I wanted to want to say about that? Um you tell me, Jeff. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm yeah, enjoying so it. Should we you, like? You've done all the reading. I love. I love yeah. talking to you about this because you. Dude, read the, all the books, books are so long. They're so long. They're... You come in with these books. And you're like, oh, I'm reading this book, and I'm like, okay, yeah, Jeff. I'm not gonna. I'm touch still. That I'm still in the process <laughs> of trying to like distill these books because, first of all, like they're all translated from German. Yep. So all the sentences are literal paragraphs. Yeah. Like, like there's so many commas, so many commas per sentence. And you're like, okay, I just read a sentence. I'm exhausted. I need yeah. to un- <laughs> unpack this I need some for lemonade. about 40 minutes <laughs> over a tall, cool Budweiser. Yeah, tall, cool Budweiser. <laughs> um, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah I had, there's, there's I had my notes, but I'm, I'm kind of like jumping around. So I'm like, I think I kind of like gave everybody that we can we can talk about some like 
some images that you'll probably see everywhere. Yeah, let's like, talk about some like really basic ones for people yeah. to pick up on. Because I think for a lot of people, I mean, there's people who are interested in whatever philosophy, psychology, etc., who have a sort of grasp on what all this is. But then there's a lot of people who just e- either aren't interested or they don't ever think to think in these terms. So when you actually reveal to them where you can find them, all of a sudden, you, if you're if you're down with it, you can start yeah. to see them everywhere, which is yeah. really, really cool. Yeah, so there's like the main ones are uh, mother, father, and child, mm. which ex- expand out into like literally every other definition yeah. that They're you can the possibly ones, come right? Yeah, and that's why like the the mothers first, um, and they they say that for a bunch of reasons. Like one, it seems like the oldest cultures worshipped feminine gods. Mm-hmm. Like they they assumed that the creator was feminine because i mean just look in your own life like you come from your mother right like, fertility we, we is everything from, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the survival of the tribe yeah, it's yeah. the yeah yeah and then like later cultures came around uh with the father who uh you can kind of look at it like there's uh there's a bunch of um earth earth mother belief systems mm-hmm. and then there's like sky father belief systems. Oh, yeah, Mother Earth. Yeah, Mother God, Earth. And, and white, old white dude God Exactly. <laughs> yeah, archetypes in action. Right. <laughs> um, and I, I, maybe I would guess that like, like going back to the nuclear family, like your connection to your mother is so close. Like you literally shared a body mm. just like all the living things on Earth shared this body with the yes, Earth. with the soil. So, yeah. So that's how you can tell like you're in like an archetype situation is that everything like as above, so below everything that's happening on the small scale is simultaneously happening on the large scale. And that's why it's like an archetypal thing. Mm. It's like, you're you're tapped into this root pattern that's fractaling out everywhere into like, like you were saying how like all these different cultures developed over time, similar on similar trajectories, mm-hmm. not with the same beliefs and the same understandings, but these archetypes were underneath all of their yeah. beliefs. Yep. Yeah. So you could probably root that in like biology and all that, like that that would be towards the mother end of it. Yeah. Um yeah. so yeah, and then like you got the the father sky beliefs. And which kind of also symbolically makes sense in your own family because, like, you never shared a body with your father. He's right. kind of like a – not, not a satellite figure, but in the, the very early stages of, like, when you're an infant, like, you are still attached to your mom. Mm-hmm. Your dad swoops in once in a while to help out. He's up there. Then, He's like, you're reaching yep, up. You're looking exactly. up at yep. dad, right? Yeah. Whereas so like, it's you're like, with mom. You're, like, yep. up with mom. Like, she, like you're literally, like, breastfeeding. You're yep. up here with mom. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the, the father, like, there's literal air and space between you and yeah. your father. Yeah. Um, so then the child is, the, the child kind of, shades into and a lot of these shade into each other kind of shades into the hero Mm -hmm. that's all the individual and you separate from everything else like you with your your conscious thoughts and action and free or not so free will (laughs) debatable yeah (laughs) um then there's uh there's the hero and there's the uh the devil or the adversary Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like the 
the flip of the hero, like if the hero is everything that strives for the good, the obviously the devil's the mirror image of that. Yeah. And it's could be any anything that the hero comes up against, like any obstacle kind of thing. And uh I'll uh I'm gonna oversimplify all of these in the interest of time. Right. Um, and in the interest of people who are trying to digest yeah. it, you know, yeah. it's like because you can just keep going deeper and right. deeper into each one of these. Uh, one of the coolest ones is the uh, trickster, mm. which is actually separate from the devil. Which, obviously, in like Christian culture, they're kind of right. They're the same. Yeah. Um, like the devil uses his his trick, trickster aspects to do evil, mm-hmm. where the trickster itself isn't evil. It's more like mischievous. Yes. Like things can be this way, but they can also be this way. Stay on your toes. Yeah. Like uh, there's there's the wise old man, your your Gandalfs, and your there's also the wise old woman. Like yeah. The, there, there's a there's a masculine and feminine of, of all each of, of these. these. Yeah, yeah. Except not the trickster because he he is both. He is. The he's trickster old. is just the trickster. Yeah. It's almost like, yeah. yeah. He, he isn't one thing or the other. That's why he's tricky. Yeah. Like he, trickster figures in mythology and stories are always like shapeshifters. Right. Metaphorically or physically. Right. You know who's a great trickster that I'm thinking now in my head? In Zelda 64, Ocarina of Time, the wind, the windmill person. Who does the Song of Storms? Do you know who I'm talking? Do you play no, Zelda? I didn't. I didn't play that Zelda. Oh, no. yeah, Jeff. He he's but he, he, yeah, keep he, saying it for the people who are like, right. yes, the yeah. trickster. <laughs> <laughs> he he plays this um, uh, what do you call it? like an accord? Not an accordion. It's like he, he he does this. What's what's I'm doing a motion with my hand right now. I'm yeah, it, it looks like he's trying to like. Like wake wa- up a jack in the box. Right, a jack right, right. In like the a box. jack in the box. Yeah, yeah. But it's like a, it's like a, almost like a, oh, it's like, and it's a song, and it's he like through the power of this song or whatever, it changes like the weather and all this stuff, and it, it, it causes chaos. But it's like, yeah, it's That's just wild. There's a couple. I think there's, there's a couple interesting tricksters in that video game, which is why I think that video game is timeless and people yep. still play it to this day, which is insane. But yeah. sorry to sidetrack you. My mind went to that and I was like, <laughs> no, that's, oh, that's not a sidetrack at all. So cool. This, this topic, there's no way to get outside of it. Right. So. Cause it's everywhere. Yep. It's, it's everything. <laughs> um, yeah. And then there's, there's like the idea of, I should say, no. Well, well, there's God or a God, which is a supreme being. Mm-hmm. Like, seems like all people believe in supreme being, or at least the idea of a supreme being. Probably, right. probably something beyond. Yeah, yeah. it probably comes from being a self-aware kind of creature. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, there's, there's got to be a thing that's yeah. You ascribe meaning yep. to everything because you ascribe meaning to yourself. Like mm-hmm. you've you've ascribed self worth to who you are, so there must be worth. Like there must be something ascribing that somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. So those are some figures. There's also like archetypal events, like birth, separation from your parents, mm. which is like kind of the start of the hero journey. Right. Is uh, separation from your parents also isn't like your physical parents. It's like your community and your culture. Yeah. It's like when it's like when songwriters use the word home. Like you, home can mean yep. so many things. It's mm-hmm. just the the language we use to describe that. Yeah, and this also shades into initiation and becoming like your own. I was about to say man, but your own individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, it's always the, easy to think of all this in masculine terms because of how it was written from right. way back then. Yeah. Everything is like a he. Even like post, like in like gospel terminology, like Jesus's time where I think it was Jesus who said like there's no more man, woman or whatever. Like, yep. But it was still, yeah. they spoke. That's in, the union of opposites, which is I'm, I'll get into oh, it in okay. a couple steps. Say, they, they still spoke when they like, th- like at that point in history. Interesting little tidbit for people theologically where when they referred to the people like people like followers as in the fe- in the masculine or whatever at that time it was supposed to at that time supposedly it was supposed to be progressive because women at the time were seen as lesser still culturally it's like just as a general rule like in that like that era as a whole so right. when they were referred to as brothers etc like he and she it was more like we are all this thing right. like the, like the masculine yeah. was supposed to encapsulate the he and the she Mm-hmm. Which obviously it's way different now, but yeah. apparently that's how it was then, where it was seen as like, no, we're all brothers, etc. Yeah. And if you go like into this symbolism, uh, the the idea of a singular thing, like an individual, mm-hmm. is described as masculine. So, like, I mean, obviously, girls have elements of masculinity in them, just like yeah, men, men have, have femininity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. So they use the masculine to to kind of signal that it's totally isolated because the feminine is by extension kind of shades into the, the mother uh, relationship. Not literal mother, but as in like the feminine kind of describes... they're together. It kind of describes a relationship between two... Because of the mother to the child, yeah. Whereas the masculine describes more, or like more. the the lovers. Even even though there could be two masculine lovers, mm-hmm. or masculine and feminine, or two feminine, the the act of being the lover is symbolically feminine because, because of the it's birth. the inner relationship, and by extension because of the birth. Sorry, I'm just thinking biology. Yeah, yeah. So I like, I, My brain well, I mean, goes back yeah, to it, that. It all kind of like it can connect into yeah. whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, see that. You're on that track, so mm-hmm. you're going wherever it's going right. to go. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it is interesting. It's hard to, like, again, yeah, it's just weird. I'm trying to think from the outside looking at it for, like, a listener because it is it is odd. Terminology, like, in, in today's modern, like, yeah. progressive Western culture, like, it's weird. The way a lot of this terminology is, like, fleshed out, it's it's odd, I think. In more of an egalitarian society, I guess. Yeah. You know? It's sort of, it's sort of come back because it sort of falls in, like, the evolutionary psychology realm a little bit where there's just like a lot of um biological psychological components that are at odds at fundamentally with like a lot of progressive ideology so Mm -hmm. just the word the language itself becomes problematic for some people yeah yeah and it's it's real easy to confuse masculine and feminine with male and female exactly yeah it's like why in your everyday life, why would you think about it any other way? Yeah. But, like, I don't know. I know a lot of masculine women. That doesn't mean they're not feminine, too. Right. Um, and I would actually, like, probably describe myself as a more slightly feminine male. Mm-hmm. Like, just the stuff that I'm interested in. Like, I'm yeah, interested in You're definitely in, more in thoughtful and caring and, stuff. and exactly artistic. I, I'm, I'm not into as much, like... I don't know your your typical masculine things like, like construction to, and yeah. and like all that. Not yeah. that I I'm not interested in that too and don't like appreciate but that. You don't have those do strong it. biological urges where there's yeah, a lot of it's, guys it's who are looking my, for fights and looking yeah, for dominance and it's not yeah. my first 
direction to yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, I'm I'm a smaller dude. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> I'm pretty small. I have really small hands. <laughs> My fingers are thin for playing guitar and drawing some some stuff. Um, but yeah, so so yeah. Uh, yeah, continue. Masculine and feminine. Yeah, it is what it is. I was just trying. To... Next stage is uh, marriage. There you go. Beautiful. <laughs> um, and then union of opposites, which is like incorporating your shadow. It's uh, accepting contradictory experiences and knowledge and kind of like seeing like dualism is not a thing that's binary, but it's like a sliding scale between mm. two poles, which I know like pete holmes and a lot of guys that you who, who is that Everybody. guy richard Rohr. richard Rohr. yeah oh, i love him frankly yeah. listen he's a franciscan friar who yes he's religious but in a much more elder sense and a less le- much yeah. less um well that's also a sense. union of opposites yeah so he's like he's both in it and out of yeah it. he's he's someone who's he's very he's very into contemplative theology where it's very much holding ideas and faith and just not like like agnosticism and gnosticism in the same hands where it's all just open and we have to like you have to plant your feet somewhere which is why he still goes by the labels like he's he he's very open about acknowledging the biases and the labels but not letting them limit his perspective and limit his like how he go, lives in the world you know what yeah. i mean like he's not living in the box but the mm-hmm. box is still there right yeah, yeah. Just because, like, you are outside of the box and not restricted to the box doesn't mean that you don't appreciate the box for what it's for. Yeah, because the wisest people acknowledge you can't ever get rid of the box. The Mm -hmm. box is always going to be there. Like, no matter how how far away from the beliefs you grew up believing, you get. Like, if you're someone who grew up religious and you became an atheist, no matter how far you run from that structure and you think that you've made it, like, past... Everything you never get away from it. Like the structure follows you. Can't no, escape the archetype. No matter, you bro. can't escape the archetypes. They're everywhere. So it's just you fall into a new box. It's just how how it works. So it's interesting how that's like I love him as a as a as a third way thinking figure mm-hmm. in all this where he does deal within this tension, like you're saying. Yeah. Um I think I was gonna say something about the union of opposites, but that's probably enough. Like you get yeah, you got the idea. Oh, oh, um, that was kind of Young's like final goal in all of this was it was a process he called individuation, mm. which is basically the union of opposites of of all opposites. Like, like you know, like your ego and your persona and your shadow and mm-hmm. like owning up all of that into your whole self and incorporate everything where it's supposed to be and knowing who you are um in relation to like your internal processes like your your biology your genes your Mm -hmm. predispositions and your external culture like i brought this book in the uh the undiscovered self it's pretty much all about that it's the the process of individuation so that when external forces are trying to guide you to do something that's not for the good of yourself or the external. Mm. Um, it's, you have that center, which is holistic that you can draw from to, to use the, to just make, make the right actions yeah. kind of thing. So the union of opposites is, is the goal. That's my uh, favorite. Before, before death, 
which is which is the final (laughs) archetypal event maybe i'm gonna die soon then because this is like this is what i'm so fascinated by right now and i'm trying so hard to live with them (laughs) i think that's a pretty exciting life though to uh work on that union of opposites Mm -hmm. for your entire life yeah because i feel like you never arrive there yeah and it's not like you only do that but it's a good thing in the background it's like oh let's Let's do this. It's like third way is every way. <laughs> right. Yeah, like I have the one, the new album that I'm working on now, which isn't really an album you and I have talked about. I don't know how I'm going to release it yet, but it's yeah. like a full length amount of songs. And the title that I had been working with was called Tension. And the main, mm-hmm. the track, the title track, Tension, lyrically, it's all about this, where the lyric is something, like there's different verses, but they, they go in the sense of... Um, I don't know a thing about anything, but I, sh- but I sure like to act like I know everything yeah. and how funny that is. And it's just this weird thing where I'm constantly having to acknowledge my predispositions in everything, biologically, environmentally, socially, and how I come across to others where I have to be aware when I come across as a know-it-all or when I, in my own mind, have thought that I've, I know it all versus the sort of... Um, more nuanced part of me that's cur- constantly curious and open to learning and feels like a complete idiot. Like there's, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like I'm mm-hmm. constantly juggling these two aspects of who I am where there's one part of me is never, never feeling like I get anything. I, I have a terrible memory. I'm really bad at retaining information. I, I don't understand a lot of really basic concepts the way I wish I did. So I'm really hard, like insecure and hard right. on myself. Yeah. But then on the other side, how I come off personally, like I'm very strongly opinionated and I have strong will. So it's easy yeah. to come across like I know everything. Well, you need to so do it's... that in like, like to do an action. Like you have to be confident in what you're right. doing. And, but you just have to be aware. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's living yeah. in that you, tension. Yeah, you which can't is the... make, you can't expand that certainty out too far because that's right. when problems happen. Yes. But I think it's yeah. natural to feel the opposite when you're thinking about things that are bigger than yourself because like nobody can even understand themselves so yeah. like how <laughs> so how true. can you ex- uh how can you understand yourself and anything around yes. you yes uh, yeah it's and just... some people just get caught up in the wave of they they get lost in the sauce or some yep. people they get so caught up in their own ego and even yeah. this and even... they might not even know that there's anything outside of it exactly of the ego. like but... they don't understand what or maybe they that... do and they've turned that into like an ego journey like they, yeah. they've yep. made the hero's journey into an ego journey where they take even the concepts we're talking about right here archetypally at the base level, there's a lot of people, I think, who are really... I met a lot of these people in college, like in philosophy classes, where there's always the kids, or kid, depending on how big the class is, who is so smart, but they are such a know-it-all, and they're so fascinated by all of this material, but they they use this material as an apparatus for some kind of self-fulfilling prophecy, where they think it's like furthering them along this imaginary line that they're going to eventually reach a destination yeah. and be like the smartest person on the planet, whereas that's just an illusion. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, whether it's someone on the far left or the far right or someone in the middle, it doesn't really matter where you are, but there's people all over the spectrum who have that mindset of just, I have figured it out and 
I have the tools. I understand archetypes. I understand psychology. Yeah. I understand philosophy. I have the tools to that you you don't get it. You simple people don't understand, <laughs> and that just drives everybody nuts. And we all yeah. hate that because it's just it's so divisive and lacks every. It's like they're so deep in the thing they can't even realize they're in the thing anymore. Right, which is lost in the sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love, I don't love being lost in the sauce, but you got to accept being lost in yeah, the sauce. Yeah, at some point you have to because you can't hate yourself. Yep. Yeah. At some point you have to be able to say, okay, I'm okay with this, but you have to constantly be wrestling with it. You can never yep. just give in and say, I'm okay with it and I don't care. Yeah. Like there's people who just like don't give a shit and they just like revel in this whatever self, ego, selfhood, and it becomes just destructive and obnoxious and, yeah. you know. And they're, yeah, they don't have a good time. Yeah. Or the opposite. And they just revel in their insecurities and hating themselves. And both extremes yeah. lead you to this sort of, it's all about the self. Whereas, like, the goal is to detach from the self. Which is a super privileged position as a whole. Because, I mean, obviously, like, if you're at a baseline. Yeah. If you're not, if you're Even baseline. Even be thinking about it to begin with. Yeah. Cause it's it, like, which is sort of a prerequisite to all of this. Because, I mean, if right. your baseline needs aren't met. On a day-to-day basis, obviously, you don't have the time or the resources to get or the interest, really, to get into any of this. But if you yeah. have if you're but I think a, a base knowledge of like these types of patterns will. I don't know. For me, it's kind of like it's encouraging in a way. Mm-hmm. It's because like there's nothing that can happen to me that isn't already like mapped out in some way if I can figure out how to recognize it. Right. And like come at it at a certain mindset to maybe maybe increase my chances of like finding my way out of it or at least like keeping my head while I'm working through it. Yeah. Like obviously that's a super privileged thing to say. It is. But um, But it's super helpful. Yeah. And I, you don't have to be it's some it's it is a tool that can it's it's not it's not like it's exclusive to people yeah. with privilege. It's just more prone if if you have those baseline needs met in a way where you could spend this time working through it. It's a lot to work through mentally, not and it doesn't mean you have to be oh I have to have a certain level IQ to work through. It's it's literally it's it's, it's a time it's, time. it's yeah. a time game. Yeah, yep. it just takes time to to get through all this stuff. Yeah, and I'm like I'm by no means an expert in this. I'm just like really interested in it. Right. So I. I'm not working through this stuff as fast as I'd like to, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. I I find that whether I want to or not, I somehow find some time for this, just because that's where my interests go. Um, well, we all have time. Like, I, yeah. think, I think that's always important to acknowledge. It's always it's annoying when you have those friends, and we all do it. Like I should, <laughs> so I should say it's annoying when not when you have friends, but when we all yeah. do the thing where we say, "Oh, I'm too busy to hang out with somebody," or "I'm too busy to do this." It's not we're all too busy, but it's because we make ourselves too busy. Yep. We we fill our time with what we need to fill it with, and for some people, they need solidarity. So like maybe their Wednesday and their Thursday night of a certain week is f- open. But to them, it's not open because they know they need that time to decompress and to relax and yeah. to recharge. Whereas some people need to have something going on every day and night of the week. And, you know, you, you make yourself you make yourself available to the extent that you want to be available. Like there's even I have friends who have worked, including, you know, me, like in the past several months where I was working 70 hour 
weeks, yeah. some weeks, but I was still doing other things. I was mm-hmm. still recording videos at the record store. You know, I was still writing music. I was still playing shows. Like, it's not, it's not like, oh, you know, you're so privileged. You can just have time for all this stuff. In some cases, there's people who they spend 70 or 80 hours a week working and still make time yeah. for what they're interested in, mm-hmm. which is a goal, whether that's a new business or ideas or furthering their personal career. You know, it's it's definitely a, time is a weird game that we all play. <laughs> it's a super weird game. I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out how to work it. I know. It's, it's, it's never you can never master it ever. Nope. But, dudes, I mean, that was all fantastic. Let's pivot. <laughs> A little bit. Pivot. Let's, let's We're hit doing that, it. Let's smash that pivot button and get into a little bit. I mean, you got into like what I guess initially interested you and all these archetypes. But what I am currently interested in hearing from you, because this is what we talk about fairly frequently, just with current events and political, yeah. social uh, settings, because we are very tied into internet <laughs> culture and yeah, for better, or for, for worse. better and for worse. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so you you sort of got reignited with a lot of this archetypal stuff a couple years ago with this yeah. surgence of Jordan Peterson. Yeah, let's you start had actually. You had sent me, like usual, a bunch of Rogan podcasts. <laughs> this is, so many people will tell you that I do this. It's so bad. Yeah. No, so it's good. I'm people, so critical of him, but I still, sometimes he has amazing guests on. You can't help but song. love him, though. Yeah, it's, it's like a love-hate. Yeah, he's a trickster. Yeah, he's a, tr- <laughs> he's a trickster. He's a lot of archetypes, that's for yeah. sure. He's, no, he's a, well, just like everybody. He's interesting. Nobody is, uh, is one. Actually, yeah, you also... If you're going to get into this, you can't identify with one. This is going to sound like mumbo jumbo. Mm -hmm. But if you like, like obviously people are pattern seeking animals. So you'll, you'll see them if you're aware of them. If you identify too much with one to the exclusion of others, there's actually a thing that people call archetypal possession. Nah. Which is where you like, say the hero, like everybody would want to identify with the hero. Right. You can identify with the hero so much that you will constantly, it'll just consume your thoughts and change the way you think about things. Like everything will be through that lens and you'll probably like push yourself to death. Yeah, you'll ruin your life. You could. Yeah. Um, And also you can get like super narcissistic and like push, like not only ruin your own life, but other other lives around you. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's not, it's any, like you can get possessed by the mother archetype, like the, the Oedipal mother, like right. the, the Freudian Yeah. Thing. The devouring mother. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to say something about that. It's been a long day. So my, my thoughts are leaving Dude, me. I was just saying, I wish I drank energy drinks or something. <laughs> my brain is pudding um, after today. So much going on. But yeah, you, Whatever. So going we're, we're back, we're going to talk about Joe Rogan. You're yeah. saying he's all these archetypes. Yeah, and every, then... everybody is is everything. Right. So that's how. So okay. So just backtracking a minute in the past, I sent you the podcast when Jordan Peterson first went on Joe Rogan, and I was fascinated by his appearance specifically. At the time, it was he was touching on social issues that have been hot in the media, the online yeah. media that we follow pretty closely, which was this whole. 
at this point, ad nauseum has been talked about with this Canadian University of Toronto. He's a professor, taught there. Everybody knows that, I think, at this point. And he was rallying against this Bill C-16, which was basically a proposed bill that was uh, enforcing professors to use students' preferred gender. I think it was actually everybody. Everybody, right, 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 nationally, yeah, to use these preferred gender pronouns. And Jordan Peterson, as someone who is very, I guess, interested, I I don't know if you'd call him an expert, but he's always been interested over time in this archetypal, a lot of postmodernist thinking, Marxist thinking. Um, So he was very versed in the language. So this caught him in a weird place because he he was the sort of, you you, you can describe it better. You were really close to this. I mean, he he got caught in a situation making statements that went viral on YouTube where... Yeah, he... he, It seemed like he was like... Oh, the, the the way that this happened and the fact that everybody was okay with this idea happening, that it's okay for the government to make you say something. Mm-hmm. He thought it was a problem and a symptom of trouble down the line that... Everybody was okay with that idea, right? Like it, it wasn't on anybody. Like it would lead to radar. authoritarianism of yeah. some type, yeah. eventually. They're but just that but way like of the uh, the brave new world type of authoritarianism, not the nineteen eighty four type, right? Of, right, right, right. Authoritarianism, yeah. So, like, obviously, it was a touchy issue because of what specifically it was about, yeah. Um, and people said he was like a transphobe and all this because he just wouldn't do have, like, the basic human decency to call them that. Yeah, it was and, politicized instantly, yeah. like, left versus right type and of thing. And I think, like, who am I to say how how well somebody should explain themselves, mm-hmm. but in hindsight, I think there's some things he could have done better. Oh, yeah. That would have avoided this whole shitstorm that... Like a snowball he, effect. Yeah. Um, you can edit out shitstorm if I don't know if we're supposed to. You can say whatever you want, dude. Oh my gosh, no, <laughs> edit that out. That's edit hilarious. it out, man. Um, I think that's a good one second before. Yeah, yeah. hold that thought just for one sec. I was gonna say it is a good, I think, little nugget to throw in before we talk about any of this stuff because you and I we do talk on a daily basis about these different political, social issues and people and how yeah. you and I are both two nobodies living in a suburban town who are really interested in all this stuff and mm-hmm. have watched hundreds if not thousands of hours <laughs> of these people. So really we're just like online critics. Like yeah. we're, we're interested in it. We're giving but, our hot takes. Yeah, it's literally hot takes. Like we aren't, like it's it's always interesting to me. I get equally annoyed at myself as I do at trolls online who do this type of thing because it's, it's always weird to attribute motive and attribute... Um, like, like basically saying that you would know how to say something better or do yeah. something better, which we do all the time, which is, it's mm-hmm. human nature. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I do it every day. Yeah. Every time I've listened to Joe Rogan's podcast since 2011, and there's not a podcast that goes by where I'm not rolling my eyes. <laughs> I don't listen to all of them. <clears throat> not even close anymore, but you know, he's, he's affected my way of thinking so much over the years that there's a tendency to fall into this toxic pattern of just criticizing them as if you're better than them, yeah. which is not what we are doing. Right. We are literally, yeah. we are criticizing for the sake of social, yeah. whatever you want to call it, like improvement. Of, yeah, I'm just saying things probably could have went better yes. if this would have happened, Yeah, which 
So Nobody could have that's known That's just at like the time. a prerequisite. Yeah. So we can say whatever the hell we want. <laughs> we, people have opinions and people are yeah. going to make harsh statements that are binary and isolate one group or another. That's inevitable. But I just wanted to say, yeah. you know, it is something that's we talk about a lot. And you know, we're just we're, we're criticizing people who do this, which we have yeah. we have no idea. Who are actually what it's a like. lot better at all this right. stuff. We have no clue what yeah. it's like to speak in front of people or to teach or mm-hmm. to do a podcast, especially that's, under that kind of pressure. Yeah. So, um, and that's not excusing anything. Yeah. Again, yeah. Like, I hate having to play these stupid word games, but again, just to give like a pre-setting, which shouldn't be necessary, but you never know in today's climate with who's going to yeah. get affected by what. So, continue on that note. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he should have kept the issue maybe a little bit more abstract, mm-hmm. which maybe it wouldn't have took off at all. If it wasn't, or it, I mean, it if it was, have. yeah, I doubt it would. Yeah, have. it's kind of what we were saying With earlier about. Yep, yep, you have to be unnuanced to a degree. Yeah, to get um, any. But you risk the wrong people latching on to the wrong elements of what you're saying, right? Even right. when you don't mean it, because I don't believe that he's a transphobe, um, and. Yeah, I think he had I think said the he issue... got like fifty letters or thirty letters or something like that from trans right. students saying they supported what he meant and they they knew he wasn't yeah. whatever. It was so. it was more like he he brings up these as an example. Like he he always cites the book Ordinary Men and the book uh, The Gulag Archipelago. Mm-hmm. He was thinking from that perspective of the individual um, going along with what the the state is kind of telling him to go along with even Mm -hmm. if right now nothing is bad if you keep giving yourself in ways that your your gut reaction you don't feel right about even if you can't articulate why Mm -hmm. if you keep doing that process when it's too late you might find yourself doing something that you wish you hadn't and you're like well why did i slippery slope yeah uh, sort of analogy so it's not to say so the idea of being comfortable with the government telling you that you have to say a certain type of word is worse than them saying we're going to punish you if you say this word right. type of thing. Which is so, where it got pretty yeah, dicey the, in there because the, it was the wording of it. It was, it was a combination of the wording but also the rhetoric around the wording. Yeah. It was more the intention of what it was. So it's obviously you should be a decent human being and – refer to a person how how they ask you to refer like like what's the harm yeah right but when when there's potential legal enforcement behind that then yeah what what are other what other things can be legally enforced in the future yeah um that should be just between two people and and obviously this is me speaking from my yeah ultra privileged yeah, uh, yeah. Like obviously there are groups that need to be protected and the government is there to help protect those groups. Yeah, so it's like, like gay it, marriage was just legalized a couple years ago. Yeah. Like people forget that. Yep. Like it's like, oh Yeah, especially like, when you live on the internet and everything right. happens so fast. You're right. Like, wow, it's, that it's been was forever. decades ago. No, it was just like three years ago. Yeah, yep. And uh yeah, I think that's an important point too, because a lot of the the way this subject was so fiery it was as if the subject of just trans in general like that is sort of the natural progression like on the list after 
like you know the gay marriage bill was passed and, and all that and how now people were looking at that as like the next thing like we have to protect trans rights like mm-hmm. like this is still trans kids are still getting bullied you know there's trans suicide rates are super high so that's sort of like a ne- one of the next like yeah. items on the list of the progressive and it's, and it's such a simple ask to just like yeah, just acknowledge basic. me as I am yeah like a basic human right thing but yeah. because of how already polarizing gay marriage was like people forget I think people think because of popular rhetoric like whereas okay it's legalized and it's accepted in popular society like most most mainstream corporations and like Hollywood and all that it's pretty normalized at this point but still it's somewhere around 40 or 50 percent of the country isn't pro-gay marriage so it's this really weird territory where even though societally we've like i should say legislatively we've pushed past this sort of older way of thinking it's still lurking in the minds of almost half the country yeah so when you push this new now social justice um issue in front of people of transgenderism transsexualism i don't know if those are actual it's transsexualism the term i don't know my bad. I mean, I'm uneducated on the terminology, but yeah. that's when you push these newer um, terms in front of people, especially people who aren't familiar with them at all, who don't spend a lot of time in these corners of the Internet or these, you know, inner city parades and, and protests where this stuff is like boots have been on the ground for a long time with this stuff. But yeah. to a lot of the people in the country, it's still very foreign. So just the topic itself is so hot. When it got brought up, you know, like it really it was like a perfect storm of so many things coming together. Yeah. And it like I understand the issue that he had and it was an important discussion to start to say, like, like maybe we should. I would say, like, yeah, let this one go. But if he wants to sound this alarm Mm -hmm. for like, oh, here's. This is potentially the first step in a process that we could get the type of a process that we could get too comfortable with. Mm -hmm. We just need to be aware of that. Right. And say, like, there is going to be a point where on the surface, like, the ends wouldn't justify the means. Yeah. And this isn't saying that this particular thing is that at all. Yeah. But I think I think that. The point was worth bringing up. Yeah. But the difficulty was is how that point, because it was so fiery, how it got hijacked by right wing media to take it as this is an anti LGBTQ plus agenda point where not and obviously not across the board, but mostly in popular media where it became a lot of generalizing tribal identities where it became all about the left, like the left as a word, like a singular group of people which really anyone who understands the political spectrum knows should know i should say that the left encompasses so it's it's the most scattered and divided group of like of a a tribe ever whereas the right is way more uniform like you have libertarians Mm -hmm. and conservatives and far right wingers and fascists and there's all and alt right there are groups but they agree on policy yeah and they agree it's the borders thing yeah right exactly they agree it's archetypal they they have a lot of the same ideological framework whereas on the left it's it's um a lot more just divided amongst different like prioritizing different ideas and different issues and there's not a lot of agreement on what comes first and that's Mm -hmm. it's just way more difficult to 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 generalize an entire but that's what it became 
That's what I guess that's what I'm saying. This this thing became the the outlets that picked up Jordan Peterson early on, like the Dave Rubens, who is just a right wing shill at this point, which we all <laughs> yeah. I, I think are aware of. But if there's people out there who are listening to this who like Dave Rubin, I mean, I'm not. I, I the don't... first time I saw him, I admit, like I was like, oh, this this guy's pretty refreshing. He's yeah. like he's like your average Joe who's just like. Hey, things are getting kind of crazy. Yeah, he wasn't pretentious. Then, he wasn't yeah. trying to be like pushing. It didn't seem at, at first that he was trying to push a narrative, yeah. but then it became to the point where it's like he became the incompetent idiot. Where it's like, okay, he's trying to frame himself like he's this fair. I'm just here to discuss ideas. Like I'm just here to give a platform. But then when he stopped pushing back against far right wingers, when he had people on like. Michael Cernovich and Lauren Southern and just all these these different right just right wing ideologues basically mm-hmm. and he had them on and didn't push back on any he never pushes back on right wing people at all so it became this odd situation where he enables this ideology to be perpetuated in ways it shouldn't yeah. be and it wasn't balanced at all the way that the initial promise of let's say like even the intellectual dark web is like the promise (laughs) of that is to be like this type of third way. Right. That's how it's framed. But it has to be balanced and it doesn't seem balanced. It seems like it's all uh, libertarians or right wingers. Yeah. Yeah. And well, except except Brett Weinstein, (laughs) but even he, it's like, he still just publicly focuses on SJWs and bashing the left, even though he'll say he voted for Bernie and he has leftist principles, which he pr- I'm not judging if he does or doesn't. I, I, I like right. listening to It's them, just the, the topics that he brings up exactly. all the time. It's it all seems like, the left. Yep, yeah. yeah, so that's what becomes unbalancing about it. Yeah. Because um, I know they're, all their thought process is, oh, the media is saturated with left. So we're counterbalancing by talking mostly right, right stuff. Right. But – it, it depends it's just not where true. You're, yeah, it's, it's not, just not true. Yeah. It's just it's only true. Here's the funny thing about it. It's only true in internet culture. Because yep. internet culture creates this false sense of security for people on the left where it's a bubble. And like if you go on Twitter, it's predominantly the most popular stuff is dominantly on the left. It just is. Whereas yeah. right wing is still more traditional. It's more older people. Yep. So it's more traditional media. It's people are still watching Fox News on cable television. Whereas that it's still a very split like when you look at the power dynamics which i think is what a lot of people fail to do in this setting where people think oh the left has hollywood the left has the new york times and the and journalists like the left has podcasts like there's all these sort of the left has archetypes right <laughs> it's all these arbitrary like just things in the air that people like to say which there's truth to it there's truth that I think we can all agree that Hollywood leans left. There's truth that we can say the general media, as if you're if you're looking at it like New York Times, Vox, like a lot of these like newer publications and and um, like grants, like the, the bigger ones, like like a whatever, New York Times obviously is like the the one they point to. But that that's true. But then there's also the the right wing. There's Wall Street Journal. There's Fox News. There's Breitbart. These are huge, yeah. huge outlets, and they're supporting the people that are in government right now, who also have that the Republicans have the power of Congress and the presidency. So it's this weird, like, what are you pushing back against? 
Like you're pushing back against internet yeah. culture uh, yeah. in and a lot of ways. Yeah, you're pushing back against a perception and it's a small perception. Yeah, it's blow, It's always the blowing up, like the article headlines that we all see that are ridiculous, like these quote-unquote regressive left headlines where, so, you know, just some absurd claim is being made and then the right wing gets to make fun of that and say, this is what the left is. Whereas even people on the left make fun of that. Yeah. Like there's just some stuff that gets put out there because it's so extreme that it seems like this is what the whole collective is. Yeah, and and people in the internet are familiar with the term and the concept of clickbait and how everything is skewed to get attention. Right. So, I mean, not that that doesn't happen in traditional media because it obviously does. Like that's where it yeah. came from, but I don't think it was as much of a... A term. It's looked at through a microscope now, too. Yeah. On the internet. Yeah. It's just more, we highlight it more often. So, dude, like, kind of like backtracking a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. you kind of want to go through how you, idiot, like, we started this off, this whatever, this pivot off by me getting yeah. into how Jordan Peterson re sparked your interest in archetypes and Carl Jung and all that, because that's what a lot of his early yeah. focus was on. So, you well, want to kind of Well, really, just, yeah, that, because at the time I was, uh, I was kind of I was getting more into writing mm-hmm. than I had before, so I was trying to think of like, I, know, I was just I was reading about writing and writing about writing, right, right, <laughs> and uh, just writing <laughs> right, things, right, 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 yeah, yeah. Um. So wait, what you? Want, I was just I was just what, gonna say like what, why I no, why like, I was interested in no, him no. When I was he came gonna out, say well, what? you can kind of go as long or short as you want, but I was gonna say if you're interested in sharing sort of how so that was like two years ago. So, like, yeah, if you want to kind of yeah. walk through your process of breaking down that sort of framework where you started off by you literally watched every one of Jordan Peterson's lectures. I mean, you were, yeah. one, you were one yeah, of the people. Yeah, his, uh, his college lectures. So, yeah. so when you showed me that Rogan podcast, um, I had no – I had never heard of this guy. I didn't – had no idea about the C-16 situation. Mm-hmm. Um most of what caught my interest in that not not that the whole podcast wasn't interesting and this is the fir- his first appearance I'm talking about it's like November 2016 i think it was november um most of what interested me in that podcast was in the second half of it mm-hmm. when he was talking about writing and the process of writing and how the process of getting thoughts out of your head and then like looking at them from the outside kind of crystallizes them in a way yeah and like editing it just improves your thinking i was like well that's awesome yeah and then from that he pivoted to somehow i don't remember how but he started talking about like these deep like religious stories and like archetypes and how these these patterns appear in like popular culture like he was bringing up stuff in like fairy tales which is obvious like those that's that's the easiest grab. So are Disney movies because they mm-hmm. are fairy tales retold. Right. Um, and then like Game of Thrones and Harry Potter and like the Marvel. He's just like, he's yeah, like he, he was going all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he said something really cool uh, where he's like, yeah, those uh, Marvel movies, that's like the return of polytheism in the culture mm. for for a generation yeah, of all people. These different gods. Yeah. Like subconsciously, like obviously nobody's worshiping. Well, some people worship right. comic book yeah, right, right. characters, but but they they kind of serve similar purposes. Where these like they're these vessels to hold these ideals. 
And it's so big, thing. like like all yeah. those movies. And it's everybody the most loves them. The like world. like yeah. you you feel stuff when you watch them. You're yeah. just like, damn, this is awesome. Yeah. And like they're inspiring. Like they they serve similar roles. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. Like that's that seems like like writing is worthwhile if yeah. you can if you can do yeah. stuff like this and. And he was talking about music and how it fills everyone with a sense of like transcendental awe when you listen to it. Like it doesn't matter what you're listening to, you're gonna latch on to something and you'll feel that even if you believe in nothing. Yeah. So I was like well, and then he was talking about um well, he's talking about a lot of things that I was already interested yeah, in. Yeah, you were you were personally latching on to the words he was saying, which sparked interest then in his work. Which yeah, you so then I, I dove was... into his work and I was he he's talking about psychology, neuroscience, evolutionary biology, history, literature, art, and he's going in and out of all these topics like he's talking about one thing. Right. And I was like, yes, this is how <laughs> I think. Exactly. This, like I I can follow this track. And, and the, the way that he was like he was dishing out this information, mm-hmm. it, it was just really appealing to me because like he was going through really complicated ideas, obviously simplifying them because you – you can talk yeah, he's for, a, he's a for 400 years about this right. stuff and and not get to it. Yeah, I think that's something a lot of people, they, they mix up with people like him, where he's he's considered by some a public, quote-unquote, public intellectual. And you could, depending on your linguistics, that could be the correct term for him. But he's more of a communicator of these ideas than yeah. like someone like a Noam Chomsky who's like on like actually doing the writing and the research like yeah. he not that he doesn't do that but that's yeah. not his primary vessel like yeah. he's primarily well, he, he did that for a topic for his book and that's what that was right that was uh 19 years ago yeah. he published that book so, you, so he, his he, and his course was based on that book that's mm-hmm. what he's talking about and he is a clinical psychologist, so he had. I yeah. think he's had like a, a thousand or so public. His name is in like a thousand or so published works. So it's yeah. not like he doesn't yeah. do he's, that. He's but, a personality researcher, so he's actually like well published in yeah. that realm. But when it comes to actually like conglomerate, it's a conglomerate of ideas that you're talking about. It's not like he's an expert in any one of these things. No. He's just no. interested in all of them. He's and using that them. to illustrate the ideas of stuff like archetypes because right. the, right. the course and the book was called Maps of Meaning, which is he was applying stuff like archetypes and religious stories to, um, like I said, like neuroscience and, and just pointing out where he saw overlaps. Mm-hmm. And the way that he was doing that, he's like, he's like, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying anything specific about this. It's just like, this is really cool. Yeah. I get really juiced up about this. Like, what, what, do, what do you guys think about right, this? Right. And you can tell in his demeanor when he teaches his class he's like he's like the dad and he's like he's like gather around kids it's story time right for 40 hours right. we're going through this story and uh like i'm real excited about it and and the, you can just like see it and i'm just like well this is really fun to listen to because like i i do visual work so i can listen to this while i yeah. work i'm just like I don't know. I got I got some fulfillment out of that. It was a lot mm-hmm. of fun, but once he started getting more popular after that Rogan bump, yeah. Like I would say, if you're interested in this kind of stuff and you want to check out his lecture series, do it from the year 2016. 
He puts them up every year. Mm-hmm. Um, I would do 2016 because 2017, there's a noticeable difference. And he in, started getting more produced and... and more produced, yeah. but also his demeanor was much more serious and reserved and certain, which wasn't the draw for that. Like what I liked about him was he was asking questions yeah. and, and pointing stuff out. He's like, oh, isn't this interesting over here? Mm-hmm. Where as in 2017, it seemed like... People are really latching on to what I'm saying. It must mean that what I'm saying is fact. Is correct. Yeah. Right. He latched on to a tribe yeah. because and they I latched think, on to him. Yeah. And I think that was kind of the beginning of uh, missteps. Right. And and like like my opinion of him now is way different than my opinion of him Two years ago. Yeah. And that, that, kind, and that followed in lockstep with him getting more popular and, and opening himself up to saying a lot more problematic things yeah. and aligning himself with more problematic people. And it sort mm-hmm. of, yeah, do you want to kind of get into like, did, was it sort of like a slow death? For you, I, you know what I yeah. mean? Death oh, yeah. metaphorically. No, I would, I would still say it was a, yeah, a slow death. Yeah. Um, because that through maybe first half of 2017 into the second half, he started appearing more places, pretty much only right wing yeah. places. Center to the right. Yeah. And he, uh, he started saying more and more things. And at first I knew like what he was getting at. Cause I had all that context mm-hmm. of what he was thinking about wh- when he said things that could be taken. You could literally weirdly. be that internet troll who's like, you have to watch all his lectures to understand. Like, that yeah. could have been... It was never you, yeah. but it could have been you, because you were like, I get what he's... Like, I've followed yeah. him for so long. Like, a lot of those kids they on the internet, you know they're lying. Mm-hmm. They probably watched two lectures, whereas you literally watched yeah. all of them. Yeah, so they it, have some kind of like... Some, some shadow work right. going on. Like, <laughs> oh, I, I'm going to say... That he's actually saying this, but it's because I actually like what he just said. Right. It's it's yeah. more of that. I than... want you to accept it because this is what I want to happen. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that was. But I just noticed that he was starting to make leaps and oversimplifications and just like incorrect stuff that I couldn't trace back. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, oh, what? <laughs> where did this come from? Like. I mean, I never wanted to – I told people about him because, like, I got stuff out of right. him. Yeah. So I was like, well, I don't want to hoard this for myself. I want to show some other people, see if they're interested and if they're not cool. I might bring it up every once in a while more than they want to because I think about this stuff yeah, you're interested all the in time. Um, but I was never, like, a fanboy. Right. And if he does something wrong, like – Dude, I'm not. He's I'm not up for criticism. In. Yeah, that's the weird thing I think for a lot of people. If anyone's listening to this <clears> and into Jordan Peterson or Sam Harris or Joe Rogan or any of these sort of cultish figures, where if you're, you can be into them in a healthy way, whereas mm-hmm. you extract information that you think is interesting. Like if I'm, I'm big into mixed martial arts, so yeah. I've always been into Joe Rogan because of that. There was a direct correlation there. Like my dad was an amateur fighter. He got me into fighting and practicing jujitsu at a younger age. So I grew up with that sort of part of my mind that was attached to there. And I think similarly for a lot of people with Sam Harris, where they went through an atheist 
deconstructing phase yeah. in like the mid 2000s when the four horsemen yep. of uh, the new atheists. That was a fun time. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's a Good weird, times, man. weird time for the, for YouTube, all those YouTube debates. But it's like, so there was, there's a lot of people then who latched onto his ideology at that point and because yeah. they related to him in that way. So there's these all, and then now you have Jordan Peterson, who's like the newest person where he comes around and people latch on to these early moments of whatever you want to call it, virability, and then it becomes part of their story. So yeah. it can easily become, you can easily take listening to Jordan Peterson or Sam Harris or Joe Rogan, he's just three examples off the top of my head because I know they're right. really, really, really popular figures, and be, become a cult member. And everything, like, because, uh, like, a guy like Sam Harris has had. Yeah, well, I like, mean, everybody wants certainty, so there's yeah. a natural drive for well, that. And, but... and a lot of the, unfortunately, for people who try to think critically about this stuff, the left, quote unquote, like people on the left, again, I, I didn't literally, I was, I was trying to be funny, <laughs> but it didn't go off funny at all. People on the left have misstepped a lot in this field where there's guys like Glenn Greenwald or Reza Aslan, who Sam Harris has spoken spoken about. Uh, countless times to the point now where it's, he sounds like a crybaby in a lot of situations, but they did, they have mischaracterized him over the years. So then what that yeah. does is create this weird pattern where now anytime somebody criticizes Sam Harris, it's miscategorized. It's you're taking him out of context. Whereas I'll know yeah. <laughs> like there's yeah. a lot of valid criticisms yeah. of the guy and there's a lot of valid criticisms of his foreign policy views. He's, he, there's a lot of people who think, Oh, well, he's progressive in A, B, and C ways, whereas they're unable to see how he's conservative mm-hmm. in D, E, and F ways. Like, he's a yeah. neocon in a lot of ways, So become, in foreign policy specifically. So it's, right. it's really dicey where if you get into that group think of, oh, I really... I love Sam Harris because I'm an atheist and I needed yeah. him to get through that. And then everything he says is infallible yeah. at that point. And everybody's always against him, and I know what he... Right. Yeah. What is good? It's so like, I need to defend him. Which is like the Christian, like the the Western evangelical evangelical Christian thing, where it's like they love to be victims. It's like because it's the martyrdom feeling. Yeah. It's like oh, culture is against us. You know, mm-hmm. like secular culture is trying to rid the world of of God's love and Christianity. So we are the chosen ones that have to rise above all this hate and everything, which is the same exact thing you get with a lot of these people who. Yep. They make them into gods, basically. Archetypes, man. That's just all can't, archetypes. Can't escape the pattern. <laughs> anyway, so sorry, man. I keep I keep jumping no, over these different that's thoughts. All... So yeah, you had noticed the shift in uh, Jordan Peterson's content as he got more popular and just yeah. and just kind of and falling at, out. And at first, like like just like what you were saying with Sam Harris, um, there was people were already against him because how he became popular which was fuzzy to begin with and mm-hmm. hard to get to the bottom of that. Yeah. So, like, it makes sense that people would naturally be like, everything this guy says, you can assume the worst because he's clearly a horrible person. Right. So, at first, I was like, well, I see what he's saying, and I'm not saying anything specific, and I hope people don't attribute the worst to that. Like, they think that I'm okay with hating trans people or yeah, something like yeah, that yeah, yeah, or that i don't think that women can work in the work right in the workplace Be- and wear makeup in the because workplace because now all these like, pieces of rhetoric have become attached yeah, to that yeah right like that was a more recent one and that one i was like what yeah what are, are you, you saying, saying? Dude? what is this and then like yeah. the just again the, the the sort of cultish justifications people come up with like the enforced monogamy comment 
he made where people were trying to even his statements where he was basically saying it's it's unsaid in culture because we all just assume you know marital status has been normified for so, normalized for so many years centuries like this is marriage is in the culture it's embedded you know it's like he was trying to basically backpedal in a way that made what he said makes sense which still in my view doesn't make any sense yeah and the people that tried to defend him especially online that i went through each each major like whatever like moment whether it was like twitter comments reddit comments youtube comments trying to find a thread of someone making sense of all this i just couldn't yeah you know it just seemed like a lot of really cultish defenses that just didn't warrant defending you know so there was that um which that started it and also the fact that if i listened to new stuff that he came out with it was either more of the same or it was stuff that I it aren't aren't what I was into. You didn't sign up for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's when I was like, okay, well, this ran its course. I'll still keep the things that I got out of it, like that that whole type of thinking and and uh, like a certain type of religious thinking mm-hmm. and uh, keeping that. I don't know, just the whole religious ar- archetypal thing. Yeah, you. Can I, just... I, I'll keep that. Right. The political stuff, you can, you can miss me with that. Yeah, <laughs> miss me with that political shit. Yeah. But it's, it, yeah, it is bizarre how it all became hyper politicized because we all know that's what makes money. We all know these guys all have Patreons now, and you look at their Patreon. It's funny because his his Patreon dollars used to be public, and now they're not public anymore. And yeah. it's really interesting to to note that because it's obvious that he saw how many people were publicly talking about it and being like, this is not good. Because the last I checked, he was making $75,000 a month. Yes. And now those numbers must be over $100,000 a month. I wouldn't be surprised. A month, man. And that's like... I can't and, imagine that. Right? And, and that income. Because it's not even just the income. It's the power that comes with the influence. The fact that yep. there's that many people willing to give yeah. him that money. Yep. And that's like the whole Dave Rubin syndrome. Yeah, where, that dwarfs the income. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the influence. It's the fact that people are looking to these guys, like this quote-unquote intellectual dark web of people. They go to them in – and again, I, I, I shouldn't say every time I do this, I'm trying to backpedal. I'm not trying to generalize everybody. Not yeah. everybody – falls into this category but many do so i hope that's obvious without having to say it but i i guess it's not for some people because some people look for any way to discount what you're saying but many people who donate to these the patrons of someone like a dave rubin or a gad sad or a jordan peterson or even a sam harris like whether or not you like them or dislike them or have mixed thoughts on them the reason most people or at least many people are donating to them is for certainty. They know yeah. that on a weekly basis, they're going to listen to these podcasts, watch these YouTube shows, <clears throat> watch these converse podcast conversations like on each other's platforms. And they're going to get the same exact rhetoric reflected back to them that they wanted to hear. It's yeah. all about how they're the paying le- for a talk show. Yeah, it's talk radio. Basically, yep. it's like it's like, OK, the left is terrible. Here's why. Let's just generalize everything, everybody into this little bubble. Let's straw- so we can feel superior. Yeah, and let's strawman postmodernism. Let's strawman Marxism. Let's strawman Islam. It's all these issues that 
if you're a critical thinker, specifically on the right or from center to right, you may have valid criticisms of each of these subjects, and that is perfectly fine, and I'm with you. As a listen, as, as a, the person speaking about this right now, I have a lot of the same apprehensions and criticisms of Islam as an ideology and of postmodernism and of Marxism, of capitalism. Like, yeah, I have yeah. criticisms of all these Every systems. Every ideology Christianity. ends in its pitfalls. Yes. So, like, yeah. like, as an individual, I empathize with people who want to think more critically about these things, but I can't empathize with people who constantly overgeneralize and strawman this stuff. Yeah. And they, they speak because they're clearly not trying to learn. No. And that and that's how it's framed. It's yeah. framed the intellectual dark web like I hate can't even say it seriously. It's so hard to even say <laughs> it's, it's such, so dumb. It, yeah. But it's, it's hilarious, especially when they uh, <laughs> refer to themselves I, in as a serious the, like, way. You don't do that. Please. It's please. like giving. Yeah. Well, it isn't like giving yourself a nickname. They it gave themselves is. a nickname. And Eric Weinstein is the one who uh, coined the term. And he said it was all cloak and dagger, like all fun and games. But then a guy like Dave Rubin comes out with a YouTube video. What is the intellectual dark uh. web? And he's dead serious explaining what this is and the fact is is that these guys po and it is mostly guys but and it, it there's a few women involved in it but again a lot of those women just have the same exact ideological biases as the yeah. men it's not like there's not they talk so much about viewpoint of diversity and for them viewpoint of diversity basically ends at baseline social issues of like gay marriage and legalizing marijuana yeah. That's basically it. It's like, okay, we can all agree these things should be a thing, and now everything else, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, it's mm -hmm. just this, it's like, let's just focus on the left now. Yeah. We don't need to focus <laughs> on any other things, so. But it's, sorry. I'll, I'll, no, no, no. I, I, I saw you, like, I was you, just were, say, well, you were gearing up to. But tell me about the left. I, How's it <laughs> feel? It but but I'll, Regressive, I'll, regressive. Regressive left, the social justice warriors. But, uh, sorry, that's our Dave Rubin impression. But, um. All this to say, they frame it like they're trying to improve public discourse and they're trying to improve debate and they're trying to educate people. And it's like, if you're trying to do that, actually invite people on your shows who are going to challenge your views in a way that's not strawmanning them. And don't invite sensationalist whack jobs yeah. on so you can just further prop up your position. Like, invite, I'm not. Like a what like a diehard Chapo Trap House fan by any means, you know this about me. Yeah. But I'm interested in them and I follow them and I try to understand a lot because I'm part of a lot of communities that they're involved in. And I think for even though they're a lot, they're snarky and their rhetoric is way more. Um, it, it's more trickster to that archetype. Yeah. Like that's the sort of archetype they play with them because they're they look at these like quote unquote rational dude people. Con contrapoints trickster AF. That's that's and she's the same way. She's friends with all these guys. At least yep. I think at least in the same. They're all in the same ideological vein where they look toward this spectrum that we're talking about of the quote unquote intellectual dark web, and yeah. it's all these people idolizing rational logical thinking and they think they're so smart yeah but, but they're not really participating in the thing that they idolize exactly <laughs> so you have these guys like you like you have even like a show like the majority the um, majority report with sam cedar and michael brooks is popular on that show or these are two guys who have criticized dave rubin and jordan peterson and all these all these folks at nauseam and they do it in, in a lot of funny, snarky, trickster ways. And the, the fans of a Jordan Peterson or a Sam Harris or a Dave Rubin look at guys like that and they say, 
oh, well, he's just un- he's just ad hominem attacks. Like, he's just unfairly criticized. And it's like, yes, because they're trying, they're making fun of you because you need to be made fun of. Yeah. Because you can't make fun of yourself. I mean, that's what a lot of it comes down to. It's like it's, they, none of these people, they're so defensive at this point because they feel like the culture is so against them. They've created this isolation bubble where they are now the victims that they rail against. You know what I mean? Like they're, yeah. they're all anti-SJW social justice, but they are now the ultimate victims of society because no one understands them and right. all that. So I don't know. Yep. That, that's that's my rant on on <laughs> kind of how they've become because I still do follow a lot of these people for what it's worth for for some of the content like you said you kind of take what you can get and leave the rest behind but yeah. it's such a trap for yeah. people you just really gotta watch to. yourself that you're going at all this stuff with a clear head yeah. or at least trying to and like I mean because how how can you know you'll always fall into a trap. And then you always have to figure out a way out of it. Yeah. And then find the next one. Right. And yeah, it just, just gets more and more yeah. traps. It's, it's the game. Because where we're like where we're talking from right now, this is just another trap. Yeah. So it's easy to it's easy to listen to this and to think, oh, they sound like they haven't figured it all out. No. Not the we, case. We are even a little bit fully aware that this is just another part of the cycle because it just it just keeps going around and around and around until yeah. you die, basically. Yeah. <laughs> But, dude, I mean, like from your, like, before we, like, get out of here, because I know it's been a while, but um, before we get out, what, as someone who has had this interesting perspective, perspective journey along the way from the past couple years and all this, like, you are someone who pays a lot, you spend way more hours than the average person deep in this stuff, and you, you're way more naturally inclined to be interested in it, whereas I know you've said a lot of people aren't dispositioned in that way. So do you have any, I guess, like, were there any strong points, like, specific moments you can point to that sort of guided, that help you guide this process or tips that you could give people to help think more critically along the way that they, because we all have these traps, like we're yeah. saying, we're all, yeah. we all fall into them. So, like, what are some tools that you've developed along the way to help you out? Well, I would say, I said this a little bit earlier, what I noticed with Jordan Peterson and why I was kind of backing out. If you're like everybody has people they like listening to, and everybody has even a group of people, not even in the same group that mm-hmm. they like listening to. But if for me, if I notice somebody is repeating more stuff than they are telling me new stuff, I can probably shelve them because I've already internalized that information. Mm-hmm. I don't need it to be repeated at me. You just feed because, your confirmation yeah, bias. Yeah, because then then it's not thinking, it's feeling. Yeah. Like I might like hearing that kind of thing, but I don't need to hear it. I can tell that to myself. I already know it, obviously, because right. I've recognized right. that it was repeated. <laughs> right. So that's one thing. And uh, another thing is... Well, I guess that's that's kind of the main thing. I love really. that. I love yeah. that way, the way that you put that. That's so important for people to recognize because yeah. it really how like that's what I, I guess what I was trying to get at with how this sort of circle of people that we have been deeply involved in the past few years, how they do just repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. It you like again, love Joe Rogan. To oh, and death, also, this is what else I was gonna say. If if you find yourself then repeating those repetitions right. rather than 
using what you've learned to come up with your own thoughts. And like, I think this is actually something that Peterson said in the beginning that I liked, like make sure what you're saying is you saying it, not, Mm. not, uh, like going back to you. How Jung. poetic is that? Right? Yeah, dude, this is this is why this is I tragic. wanted to do this. I was like, man, I'm bummed out. Yeah. Because it's, it's like tragic. there there was so much promise and like I don't feel at least at this point in the game that it it, it was lived up to the way mm. that I w- was hoping it would. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll admit I um for like the first couple of months that I heard of him, I contributed like 5 bucks to his Patreon. Yeah. Because he was like, I'm going to use this to record more lectures about like Carl Jung and religion and Taoism. Right. Early on before it was like a sensationalized. It was like, it was, it was more, more of, he was talking about producing more of the information that I wanted to hear because there aren't, from, from my knowledge, maybe somebody can help me out. There's not a whole lot of sources for this, yeah. Especially like the distilled versions that are right. like, like it's not a little accessible. bit quicker than these impenetrable books. Yeah, these huge, huge, yeah. thick German translated. And books. if like if something can be like produced at a high level, like that'd be cool to see, yeah, and, and cool to share with people. And I didn't get that, so I was like, I'm out. Right. Like, my my dollars can go somewhere else. Right. Um. Yeah. No, I love that, man. Sorry, I was like, I was just going to jump in before and just say uh, that, yeah, like I, I felt that way as someone who still listens once in a while to Joe Rogan's podcast and love him to death again because I relate so many. There's part, a weird part of me deep down somewhere that is a meathead. I love fighting. <laughs> I love, like, I don't. Every, hu- everybody's got that right? to a degree. Yeah. If like, they're honest with themselves, it yeah, might be a microscopic degree. Yeah. But it's there. Yeah. There's people on the left. We're that are, animals. Yeah. There's people on the left that are super anti violence and they're peace, anti war and all that, but they still, they'll protest and they'll get violent. Like, it's, there's a, it's in us to some degree. It's, to some people, it's stronger, yep. and other people, it's not. But I was going to say for him, it was, yeah, it's really, I love him. Uh, there's certain podcasts that I'll definitely listen to, most that I tune out at this point. But the way I can tell is exactly to your point, what you were saying about how, like, repeating old information, like, he has, it's become, it's endearing almost, because, like, he has so many what I call, or what is generally called Roganisms. Yeah. Or just so many points of interest and topics where he's, he has a great retainer memory of just because he does so many podcasts, I think, that helps where he just memorizes information at such a great rate. Dude, he's got just, he's got the dad facts. Yep. It's just like Fritz Haber and like <laughs> the Boston Comedy Club and like yep. coyotes and there's always some random, crazy Joey Diaz story. Yep, there's always just random pieces that float around there. And it, and they're some are funny, some are super informative, some are dumb, some yeah. aren't helpful at all. But it's all over the place. But anyway, it's just rec- being able to recognize that is so helpful. And there are some people, again, if anyone's still listening to this, there are some people out there that you can find as resources that try their damnness to counteract this. I know one who I've been into recently a little bit more is Robert Wright, who mm-hmm. his idea, he's definitely not a cult-like personality. Like He's never going to be as famous as someone like a Jordan Peterson. He just doesn't have that drive in his personality i don't think it's like for better or worse but he is he's an interesting communicator he's a funny guy and he's someone who with his show on uh blogging heads he's 
if you look at the list just from the past just from the past year, the list of people he's had on, it's all over the political spectrum, from far left to far right, and he challenges each one of them. Like he's a he's sort of a contrarian. Like mm-hmm. like whoever he talks to, he's very critical of, and that's helpful to me. You know, like for where I'm at right now, like that's I like that kind of information. Like I don't think he like I said he's not like a cultish figure. Like he's not going to be as um, hyper hyperbolic or entertaining as someone like a Peterson or a Joe Rogan at times, but there's definitely resources like him out there of people that are trying to sort of create this, you know, yeah. deconstructionist. And then there's there's Ina who does polite conversations who I really enjoy. Like her podcast is phenomenal. It's way more it's it's less focused on, I guess, all around third way thinking. It's more focused on deconstructing a lot of what we've been talking about. Because right. she was someone, she's a Pakistani immigrant who ex-Muslim and all that. And her um, background, she, like she she latched on early on to like the Sam Harris's of the world. So her a lot of her ideology at this point is deconstructing that, which I think is mm. basically what we've been talking about. It's yeah. like super helpful. That's the phase, I guess, you're at. Super That's not sweet. helpful if you're super <laughs> yeah. into them and yeah. you don't want to deconstruct yeah. if it. If you but... want certainty, super not helpful. Yeah. But... <laughs> But, but if you're interested in criticizing the people you yeah, love, like, if, you're, if you're interested in p- potentially not being certain about things that might not be what you want to be certain about. Right. That's a great <laughs> way of putting it. Um, wait, so going back to like things to do, like I said, uh, notice the repetitions and when you're just feeding your emotions mm-hmm. rather than your intellect and also watching if what you're saying is your thought or somebody else's thought. Yes. love the both I would say them. also, um, if you do find somebody you're interested in, um, become at least somewhat knowledgeable um, about their influences. Mm. and So important. Yeah, and read or listen or watch whatever of that you can get your hands on so you can get the right or, or just get a context that you can either take or leave. Yeah. But, yeah, just don't take it. At face value. Yeah, that's, a, that's always an interesting context, uh, especially in online communities now, YouTube, Twitter. You can see who's done interviews with who, like who they're influenced by. There's like these kind of first, second degrees of separation between some people where a lot of these people we've been talking about, they're only a couple degrees separated from like literal white supremacists. Yeah. So it becomes this yeah, really so strange. Yeah, so look out for that stuff. Yeah, you have to know like how much. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's a, mis, <clears throat> a misstep. Like sometimes... I think there are genuine times where people go on shows and they're unaware of certain affiliations because you don't, who has time to look up everything? But then there's, yeah. there are other times where it's a clear, intentional ignorance because of a platform. Mm-hmm. Like a guy like Stefan Molyneux, who has a huge YouTube presence and has said a lot of questionable at best, fascist at worst things yeah. and has terrible, he's, he's had just flat-out cordial conversations with white supremacists. And it's like, a guy like that who has a huge platform, it's really easy, I think, if you're someone in this sort of vein of thinking to ignore all the unpleasantries and just to go on because of how big his platform is. Like, there's a lot of that happening, which is... Yeah, so maybe we should specify, look for negative and positive influences. Because, like... Take Jordan Peterson, for example. I get a lot more out of reading Carl Jung than I do 
now listening to Jordan Peterson. So and that, who, who was his influence. biggest influence? Yeah, yeah. Like you get old philosophers. You get uh, even in the political sphere, people like Jonathan Haidt, mm. um, Steven Pinker, um, or like I'm just saying, like who yeah. who he gets his like political facts from, right? How it seems, yeah. Like know those guys too. Like maybe maybe one of those guys will paint a more holistic picture because of their specialties. Mm-hmm. Like especially if you listen to someone like a Rogan or a Peterson who yeah. is who is like this distillation of all these separate things. Yeah. Um you'll you'll maybe kind of not repeat so much simple statements mm. if you research more of this background stuff where it's coming from. You can come up with your own stuff that you repeat right. in your head. Yeah. And tell people then and it's your like, thoughts. Yeah. And then you know it it's coming with a good intention if your intentions are good. Right. You got to be real with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't. I think those are the only things. I love that. Yeah. I, I would even just add. Uh, we're we're trailing out here at this point. Yeah, but I, yeah. I would add to the end of that that sometimes if something hurts to hear about somebody that you love, sometimes you need to hear it. Yep. I think it's hard for a lot of people to hear criticisms of their heroes and the people that they look up to, and it becomes. Like, oh, it's all, like we said before, miscategorizing and and um, just, you know, slandering and ad hominem. And there's always, like, excuses you can make because sometimes those things, there's truth in that a lot, yeah. of, a lot of times, I should say. And if you can accept that, you're probably not idolizing this person yes, to exactly. a level that isn't exactly healthy. Yeah. Because they are just people. If you met them, you could talk to them and you could find out that... I don't know. They're, they're, they're not the gods that you they're think they were. No one is a god. Yeah. <laughs> Literally no one. Maybe. On, we all we, are. We don't. We don't. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what it is. We all are. We are all gods. We're god living is in Westworld. <laughs> cool, dude. This was a fun time, as always, talking about this stuff with you. That was one heckin' rabbit hole. <laughs> Sounds like a fun. meme. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing a bit about your story. I think a lot of like the way you worked through a lot of that was it's super helpful for a lot of people to hear. And even, including myself, you know, because we relate heavily in this stuff, we yeah. it's, it's easy to bounce through these ideas because we're very similar in this way, which we have to watch out for. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we could just easily yeah. feed into each other's biases. Yep. But it's always fun, you know, and I really I appreciate you coming on and sharing the good Thanks, word, man. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, it's a party. We're you know. Yeah. It was a long way to get here, right into the basement of our office. Yeah. We walked a total of like thirty yeah. feet to get. I'd there. like to do this again sometime. I don't know what we'll talk about next time. Oh, we can talk about anything. We set this third mic up. We can get someone else down here too. Yeah. Make it make it a party. Yeah, it'd be sick. Cool. I'm down. All right. Peace out, everybody. Later.